boys and girls, ladies and gentlemen, lads and lasses, those who don't describe their gender, and everyone who can survive the zombie apocalypse, welcome back to Mangan Talks of Last of Us. We are on episode 7, Left Behind. Episode 7 was an Ellie episode, Spencer. I was pleased. I liked it. What'd you think? I know your love of Ellie very much, so it doesn't surprise me at all that she has continued to only further capture your heart. I thought, I, I have kind of mixed feelings on it, because I thought as an episode on its own, it was well acted, it was well paced. It had you know, some, it was very well filmed. It had some great moments associated with it. I think my complaint might be that coming from the if fact you say that, not enough zombies, I'm st- shutting down the podcast. I'm not right going to say not, not. I'm not. Whew. Well, now uh, I, now I want to, but that is not that was not what I was going to say. I, I don't. I feel like it. Th- this is an adaptation of downloadable content that wasn't even it wasn't originally in the video game. I didn't actually play it, but I've watched it before, and it feels that way. It feels disconnected from the overall plot and while they made a couple little jump overs into how this is connecting to why ellie is the way she is why she feels like joel i didn't think they did that enough and with us hitting the back half of the season i'm a little bit less inclined towards and a little bit less forgiving of episodes that are just not a full non sequitur but just so fully focusing on a completely different thing than where the plot seems to be going or will likely resolve so that took me out of it a little of it, just because it felt like it hurt the overall pacing, maybe, of the, the back half of the season. But I thought the episode itself, it just viewed in a vacuum, was good and successful, particularly with, particularly with respect to the acting of the two, two main leads. Can we back up? You said, I haven't played it, but I've watched it. So for people who don't, who don't live in video game culture, like, what does that mean? Like, I, I you, played did you watch somebody else play it, or did you watch it on YouTube or something? I watched it, I watched it on YouTube. I played The Last of Us. And I lost access to a PlayStation, which I can continue to play it. And so when they came out with downloadable content after the game was released, I didn't get to play that. So I just pulled up somebody playing it on YouTube and watched it there. Interesting. So like these like games that are more narrative based, um, less less about, you know, your gameplay, your ability to. Yeah, it's less about your hand eye coordination. It's more about, you know, playing the story and making correct choices. By and large, you can watch that stuff on YouTube. People record themselves playing, etc. Particularly games by Naughty Dog. Particularly games in the Last of Us series. Very much incline themselves in that direction. I've been every now and then making little jokey references to Last of Us 2, which I've not played. But I've watched the majority of people play just because it lends itself well to watching it almost just like a movie. I mean, there's even edited versions of where it's just all the cinematics have been edited together into a single coherent you know, medium or a single coherent video. And that alone is as long as a full-length film. That's just how Naughty Dog does their games. All right. You ready for me to be old man on lawn screaming at the sun? Oh, oh. <clears throat> do you ever interact with the world in a different way? Please, because go on. I think that this show is exposing that like the way that we intake narratives now is very much starting to be representative of this I-have-to-have-it-right-now sort of everything in 140 characters, 20 second blurbs type thing. Like Mm -hmm. what people are saying is germane to the plot is narrowing and narrowing and narratives. It's like this, like I hear people say what you just said, which is like, and you, you did qualify it a little bit more, but I'm going to simplify it. No, please. Is basically, 
basically like this this episode doesn't have anything to do with the plot it doesn't have it's a non sequitur it doesn't have any, and it's like wait a second it's backstory about one of two main characters mm-hmm. how wh- since when did that not become germane to the plot of any story that you're telling but that's where we've gotten to where it's like if it's not about that point a to point b then all of a sudden it's not relevant anymore. And I think back to a show that we we both love. I was just referencing referencing it before we started recording. The West Wing. Yeah. How many episodes of The West Wing were there just flashbacks to the what? Bartlett campaign or flashbacks to Toby's childhood? It was like and all we'd ever questioned it because of course it was germane because it's a it's about we're, we're telling the story of these people and this is about these people. So it kind of confuses me where we're at with this. Well, I I Fundamentally agree with you that I think people that are saying that this one thing I'm seeing along that line is they said this was filler. And I that is too far. You can say that it's breaking away from necessarily the continuity of the flow or the transition that we set up in the last episode. And I think that's perfectly true. It is literally doing that. But to say it's irrelevant, to say it's a non sequitur, to say that it is filler, as they put it. That is going too far for the exact reason you said. We are learning more about a main character, her reasons for her actions, her reasons for various things she's told Joel before. And though I think they could have done it better, we get that directly playing into the present for the reasons that she doesn't leave, the reason that she does stay, the reason that she is dedicated to maintaining her newfound family. Because as she said, she's lost everyone she's had before. But what you were saying about the West Wing... I feel like it's different eras of television that are rubbing up against each other and not being happy with each other. Of where used to be back in like the 90s and the 80s, episodic television was the norm. It'd be a 30-episode whatever else season of where very few of those would be continuing some overarching arc that would strip multiple seasons or even the entire season. A lot of them would just be one-off episodes of what's happening right now in the adventure. And we loved that. It was great. But that is much rarer when it comes to television now, particularly for like the streaming 10-episode season, whatever television that is now the standard for that kind of television. And I miss it at times, but it does require a bit of, like, you know, reversing muscle memory for how much rarer it is. Well, we both are completely in agreement that the new 10-episode, 8-episode, 6-episode norm is BS. We need to get back to 2025 episodes. Only one really solid television show that I continue to watch now is on that schedule, and that's Abbott Elementary that's still network. And that that show was... They're still doing 20 something episodes a season, and that's great. I think that, like, we, I think people who are watching The Last of Us need to start thinking of the show in more episodic terms because a lot of people are watching it, I think, expecting this sort of like Ellie Joel running through the gauntlet of zombies and like, do they make it? Do they not? Where do they go? Like, I think that's almost immaterial to the story they're telling, at least from my perspective, Mm -hmm. the strength of the story they're telling is that they're explaining how this world got this way, how these two characters got to this point in this world, how they're motivated, how other people in this world have adapted are living. It's stories within stories. It's episodic television. It's just, there's a little bit more of a through line than something like say, I don't know, law and order, but I think uh, ultimately it, it is all right. You can take each individual episode and there's a story being told in each individual episode with this overarching sort of thing that maybe gets 10, 15 minutes per episode, which is them going across the fucking country, right? Like last episode, it was let's learn about this Colorado civilization, which is totally you know? not communist. 
No, it's literally a commune. For commune's it's, sake, it's not literally, communist. literally a commune, Tommy. Uh, before that, it was you know the the guy and his brother. Before that, yeah. it was the my favorite couple. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, it was like it, it's okay, and we should. I think we should start thinking of it this way. Yeah. And what I'm all I'm building to here is that when I start, I'm at a point with the show where when I hear people say. Oh, that doesn't, they, all, I, that's a completely wasted episode. And mm-hmm. I, I could have not even watched that and kept, and, and kept enjoying the show. I'm like, okay, well, then you don't understand the show. Like that, I just want to just kind of, di- I, I know that's kind of like, like kind of blunt, but it's like, you don't seem to get the show because they're telling stories within stories. That's the strength of it. It's not about, do these two people get to across the country for to take Ellie's blood to save humanity or whatever? I mean, it's a little bit about what, that, but it's mostly about what story are they telling per episode? Well, it, it, it represents that you can tell an arc with episodes that are focused on learning more about the characters that are undergoing that arc, and that's fine. Or just learning more about the world, world they operate in, and that works too. They don't necessarily break the flow, though I think this episode may have a little, but we'll discuss that. They can be just part of making a more complete picture of what you're watching. Now, does it surprise you, though, that this, looking at IMDb, is, by a significant margin, the worst-rated episode of the season by viewers? So, A, I've stopped paying attention to any of that stuff because I think that there are – this is not everyone. Let me clarify. It is absolutely, obviously not everyone. Speak, speak your heart, sir. But there are bigots who are upset at the portrayal of homosexuality, especially on uh, – of an underage girl who are going and downvoting it. And even if that's, you know, I use my ice cream analogy, even like, even if that's like 2%, it ruins it. Like for mm-hmm. instance, if you're eating an ice cream sundae and mm-hmm. I stir in 2% dog shit in that ice cream sundae, I'm not eating that ice cream. the ice cream sundae's ruined. I'm kind of that way with the IMDV reviews. If, if 2% of it is some bigot saying, I don't like to see homosexuals on my television screen, then I'm like, I'm good. I just don't, I don't care what that feedback mechanism is. But it, I mean, I think the, the analogy I think that might work for some people is if you had someone come to you and go, you know, I like this show house, but what the hell? I don't, why is this episode about when he's 15 years old? I don't give a shit. Like what, get me back to the hospital. If someone said that to you, you'd say, okay, well you just don't get house. You don't get how they tell the story. And that's okay. I mean, it's not to show for you, obviously, you know, you're, you're into something that tells a story more like say like a game of Thrones or something like that, where it's like, it very much is about what is this central plot and we're driving to it in present day, as opposed to we're telling a story about people. In some ways it almost ties back to the reference you made earlier about um, what, how to experience a video game, but whether it's more gameplay or more story focused, it almost seems like for people that say that, that, that uh, why isn't it focused on the main pair? Why isn't it focused on the diagnosis in the hospital? They almost seem like they appreciate more the mechanics and the gameplay of the show and the structure of the show in that particular way, rather than necessarily how the story can can, can potentially unfold. Yeah, I mean, I I, did, I didn't mean to like, I wasn't trying to be rude when you brought up the IMDb thing. It's just like, no, no, no. But, it, because it, episode three and then this episode, I've just sort are of the lost two lowest rated episodes. Yeah, and and I just yeah, and and you go, oh, I wonder why. Like it's it's just like I, fairness, it, it frustrates me, you know. In fairness, they are the they are the, also the episodes that are most not centered on Joel and Ellie. They also are the episodes that are focused on the developing relationship between gay characters. Column just, A, column B, who knows? I don't know. I mean, like, I'm not. I, I, I not, I'm. If you didn't like this episode, I am not calling you a bigot. That's not what I'm saying. 
But I am saying that some bigots are on IMDb downvoting it for the purpose of saying they don't like homosexuality. And that sours the score for me. And I just don't even care to pay attention to it. And like the same, you know, kind of the same thing happened um, toward the end of Game of Thrones. Like they would be like, they rated the bells, I think, which is the um, second to last episode of Game of Thrones, like a four or something. And it's like, well, that, that episode isn't that bad. Like, like that's insanity. That's where Danny nukes King's landing. That one. one, Exactly. Yeah. Um, anyway, all right. So that is our initial thoughts of the episode. I'm glad we went long there because this, honestly, the recap's not going to take very long. It's a pretty straightforward episode. Yeah. Here on Mangum Talks, The Last of Us, we do a recap. I will lead the recap every week heroically. Bang, bang, beat them up, beat by beat, doing the recap. Spencer will chime in with witty anecdotes. Probably some very interesting stories this week. Maybe a little bit of, uh, exasperated comments. He does seem a little tired this week. I'm having to bring the energy. <laughs> Then we will go to best line of the episode. Spencer will supply me with uh, nominees for best line of the episode. I am mm-hmm. Emperor, God Emperor of the segment. I will select best line of the episode. Maybe even an honorable mention if we're if we're lucky this week. Then we will go to familial moment of the episode, which will be an interesting one this week. It will. Very interesting one. It, there's an overarching theme this episode. I'm curious to unpack with you. And then we will jump into Spencer segment. Which every week I bill as him taking over the podcast and giving us a lecture. And every week he does no such thing. It is ethical questions of the week with Spencer. And then we will wrap up. So everyone who's listening, if you're enjoying this podcast, we really appreciate you listening. I'm glad you've hung in there with us. We're just about wrapping up this season. I think we got maybe one or two more episodes of this season, right? Mm Mm-hmm. And then Spencer and I will be jumping over to the podcast feed line of succession to review Spencer the last season of Succession, you got your I wish. I am so happy. We talked about this. I was stressed, and you were like, yeah, they haven't announced it. They would ob- we'd ob- I even agreed to do that. Like, obviously, they'd say this in advance if it was the last season. I mean, totally. And here, belatedly, very belatedly, they are now informing the world that we are entering the last season of what is, in fairness, particularly for the character actions, the best written show on television, perhaps? Last season, we were we we talked about it over on Line of Succession. We did a intro pod, we did a refresher pod going into season four, and at the time, we did not know it would be the last season. I teased Spencer about how the fact they're going to do three or four more seasons, and he's going to hate it, et cetera, et cetera. You nope, delighted, Spencer, you delighted in the poking. Spencer got his wish. It's going to be the last season. We'll be reviewing Succession week by week, very similar to how we're reviewing these episodes of Last of Us. We'll be reviewing every episode of season four of Succession over on the podcast feed, Line of Succession. So please head on over there, subscribe, and listen to us week by week as we break down the final season of what I think is the best show on television. Uh, Okay, let's jump into the recap here of episode seven of Last of Us. We got the title, Left Behind. Which is the name of the DLC. So they just kept that. And this episode is written by the same guy that wrote the DLC. So it mirrors it pretty closely. What does DLC stand for? Downloadable content. Oh, okay. So like an expansion pack or something. Very much so, yes. But Got unlike unlike the old days that I preferred where you could just buy the cardboard box in the store, you're just downloading it off Xbox Live or the PlayStation Network. Doesn't feel as special that way, does it? Mm-hmm. All right. So the previous season, we get a lot of Tommy in Colorado, Maria and her crew. The they weren't things, Joe. We murdered people. Line. Mm -hmm. Maria warning Ellie not to trust Joel. Ellie telling Joel she wouldn't be better. She wouldn't be better off with someone else because, quote, the truth is I'd just be more scared. And then Joel getting stabbed. No cold opening this week. We jump right to the credits. Then we go to start the neighborhood. 
And we see the tracks of something bleeding, having been dragged to a particular house. You you were pondering at the end of the last episode that you know, I thought he was dead. Yeah, what could Ellie do? I mean, she can't get him back on the horse. She can't carry him. I mean, how is she going to get out of there? Luckily, your girl your girl Ellie is a very smart cookie. Uh, so can I can I put in a, a recommendation? Can you do me a favor? Just Please. something for me. Yeah. Always call her my girl Ellie if you would. I'm going I to fucking love Ellie. She, <laughs> I have, I have turned so hard on this character. Like I, I didn't dislike her ever, but like it is the sole reason I'm watching now is I'm rooting for Ellie. If I tell you this, if they kill Ellie, podcast professional, I'll keep doing the podcast, but I will be a gruff individual doing the the recaps. I don't know that I'll care that much. I really do like this character a lot. Look at my mask of complete non-reveal of information. You will see nothing from me. We see Ellie's bags, a bloody sleeping bag, and we see their horse, who appears to be in a living room. Did you catch that? In a living room, <laughs> shaking off recently arrived snow on its forehead. I just love how I, I love the sort of um, blase attitude of animals in these types of situations. Yeah, it's just I, always I, the, the, the contrast is always enjoyable to me. You know, when all hell's breaking loose in a house, and then you cut to the 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 cat, and the cat's just like yeah. taking a bath, you know, yeah. looking at itself or something. It's always funny. Uh, and we see Joel in the basement with Ellie trying to put pressure on his wound. Joel grabs Ellie and tells her to leave. Ellie screams, Joel, shut the fuck up, shut the fuck up, shut the fuck up. He grabs her harder and harder. Too hard, I would say. Too hard, Joel. He chucks her there at the end. Too hard, and he chucks her. And I think I took that as he feels like he's dying, so he's not. I mean, I don't think he's as careful with his actions as he otherwise would be. But I also think he was trying to piss her off. I think he, he was, was trying to make it's that sort of kick the dog to make it leave you type thing, you know, very like much that, that that sort of deal. Very much in that category. He assumes he's dying. He assumes that this needs to be a moment of tough love. Just to actually convince her to go away, to sever the cord to a certain degree. And so he's being rough. He's being out of character for how he usually handles her, particularly lately. And I don't think he likes doing it. I don't think he wants this to be the last memory between them, but he feels obliged and duty bound that my do my goal was to protect you. There's not much I can do with respect to that now other than get you to Tommy as fast as possible. Yeah, I mean, I normally would be all over Joel's shit for tossing her this way. But I think, you know, thinks he's dying, trying to send her away to get to Joel to save her or to Tommy to save her life. I get it. I don't like it, but I get it. He says, you leave, you go, you go north, you go to Tommy, you go. And he pushes her with a tear in his eye. You ever you ever see that Ric Flair meme? With a yes, tear in my eye. Yep. This is the greatest day. Yeah, with a tear in his eye. And Ellie gets up, puts the basket over him, tearing up herself, or a basket, no, puts the blanket over him, tearing up herself, and she looks at him, clearly torn, and she walks up the basement stairs. Uh, this is one of those moments of where I feel like, though it was, we acknowledge the time it was a very weird role for him to take, uh, Pedro and Pascal playing the Mandalorian has really improved his non-facial acting. It's from he's able to convey a lot while keeping his face just rigid in pain. You know, I I'd like to hear him be honest about that someday. You know, he, he probably has to get away from the show, the Mandalorian show, a little bit. Which, mm-hmm. by the way, is going to go for like ten seasons. Shout out see, to see, John Favreau. Th- th- this is the trade. I get Succession, you get the Mandalorian. There's balance in the world. Spencer's going to think Mandalorian's fan fiction from now on because Favreau <laughs> says he doesn't know how he's going to end yet, and that really pissed him off. It, it punched me in the face. Is what that yeah, was. <laughs> he doesn't like that at all. But anyway, I, I would once he gets away from the show a little bit, I'd love to hear him talk about how that has affected his acting. You know, yeah. basically in a role. That's the biggest role he's ever played. Mm-hmm. And he can't do any facial acting for 99% of it. That's pretty interesting. Um, 
Mm-hmm. I don't uh, know that we've ever had such a situation before, other well, than maybe voice actors. Well, in 45 seasons from now, when he's in his, you know, 90s or whatever else, finally, maybe, when he's finally retired from the show, he'll tell us what it was like. I know. Grogu will look exactly the same, by the way. It'll just be 75. <laughs> he'll be using the Force to carry Mando all around on a walker. Oh, my God. I can't. Ah, oh, we get more Mandalorian. Mandalorian coming back. I'm so excited. Cut to a flashback, and Ellie. Ellie is running in a circle uh, around a gym and listening to a Walkman, All or Nothing by Pearl Jam is playing. A, a song I very much like, so I enjoyed singing it. There was a lot of great music this episode, actually. So you're a Pearl Jam fan, huh? I, I, I enjoyed the occasional Pearl Jam, Pearl Jam song. Okay, good. Yeah, I like Pearl Jam, too. I think Pearl Jam weirdly has become underrated over the years. I, almost, I won't say forgotten, but it certainly hasn't resonated as much as some other bands that were up and coming at the same period. You know what it feels like? It's like the the fighter that gets older and and looks a little bit older in the ring. Mm. And it's like people then forget how good the fighter – like if the fighter had just died young, like, like a Cobain-type situation, yeah. people would only remember the heights of Pearl Jam. But Pearl Jam has continued to play and make music on into their 50s, and people now just remember that. I think it's a, sort of the – you know, it's the, the curse of those who lived sort of deal. That's an interesting read. I think that has some point to it. And the earphones are yanked off Ellie, a taller girl, Bethany. What a bitch, this Bethany. I really don't like her. <laughs> I got to tell you, I can't believe she's treated Ellie this way. Absolutely unacceptable. I enjoy that no one does. We have three separate people talk about Bethany's episode. <laughs> Bethany sucks. And everyone thinks that she's a shit whose only job in life is to manage shit. Uh, she's awful. Tells her that she needs to pick up the pace. She doesn't want to do extra work because of Ellie's shitty attitude. Ellie says she doesn't want to fight about it. The girl says, you don't fight. Your friend fights. But she's not here anymore, is she? Ellie looks at her, scrunches up her face, and just punches a girl right in the face. I love that Bethany is given a half second to realize, and then she realized she fucked up. Because her face, she looks at Ellie before we even see Ellie's face, and it just goes, oh shit, she's about to punch me now, isn't she? Yeah. Well, 15 stitches worth, apparently. Uh, That is more than a punch, I would assume. Haven't been in a fight, but I'm guessing you need to throw more than one punch generally to get a 15 stitch effect. Uh, probably. I mean, she doesn't, she's not wearing any rings or anything. So mm-hmm. she probably just had to punch her multiple. I mean, you have to basically rip, rip the skin when you're punching oh, yeah. that way. Um, yeah, it's pretty hard. Then we see Ellie with a shiner in the room with a captain Kwong. He sits down and says, what's going on? Hey, Spencer, you do not strike me as a guy who got in a lot of trouble in grade school. Did you now? I know in grade school you were reading fucking war and peace and high, doing high-level calculus in fifth grade. We're not talking about how you were blowing through the most complicated AP courses when you could barely walk. Well, what we're talking about is your behavior in the school. Well, sir, there was a moment in kindergarten of where I, for some reason of ill-temperance, spoke during the moment of silence and was required to flip my card that day and not get a gold sticker. And that day... I aspired to never have such a moment happen again. So you probably never got this tone, but I got this tone from a lot of different school administrators. <laughs> I see this coming. It happened a lot where I'd sit down and they'd just go, what's going on? Mm-hmm. What is happening? And I'm like, I, I didn't do it this time. And I'm always pointing, you know, but shout out to Ellie. She doesn't do any pointing really. Um, she, he, and he goes, look, You've been well-behaved. I wouldn't call you well-behaved, but the last couple of weeks, you've just been out of control. And he, Ellie's like, just put me in the hole, which I assume is some sort of like solitary confinement yeah. type isolation thing. And the guy's like, well, that doesn't even work. You know, and he's smart about this because she's volunteering. Anytime you're punishing a kid 
and the kid volunteers what their punishment is going to be. Don't give him that punishment. Don't give him that punishment. Yeah, and that's what he says. He's like, that's not working. How about this? I'm going to tell you the truth. Novel, go on. And he says, you're smart, Ellie. You're so smart, you're stupid, which is a thousand percent true for her. What a great quote for Ellie. I don't know if she's ever more perfectly summarized in the show than with that line. And he says there's two paths ahead of her. She can basically be a grunt. She can take shit jobs, eat shit, feel like shit, take orders from somebody, probably Bethany, who sucks, by the way, well established on this podcast that Bethany sucks. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Or she can swallow her pride. Follow the rules, become an officer. Officers have it good. They take easy jobs. They're in warm in the winter, cool in the summer. And when you're an officer, you get to tell the Bethany's of the world exactly where to shove it. She asks him why he cares. And he says, interestingly, that no matter what people think, they, Fedra, are mm-hmm. the only ones holding this whole thing together. I must say, we're, we're going to have a very complicated <laughs> ethical questions of the episode because... I, normally, I would dismiss this sort of like playing God offhand, this sort of God complex he's got, like, oh, it'll all fall apart without you, me thing. But I just saw it in now. Kansas City. I just saw it. I, I, I In some ways, that, that them going heavily into this is perfectly timed. And I love that we get a lot of discussion about Fedra versus the Fireflies, about whether the idea of these romantic revolutionaries is at all justified or whether Fedra and their despotism is necessary in the world. And no one off. we have two different points of view on it. More so on the Fedra side than on the Fireflies side of this episode. But we don't really get a concrete answer. And I think we're better off for it. Because we've gotten a lot to ponder either way. He says, if we go down, the people in the zone, QZ, will starve or all kill each other. This much I know. And he says, she could be a leader. She could help. So which way? And she says, the officer path. She'd like that. Do do, do you know this actor, by the way? Have you seen Terry Chin before? Mm, probably seen him, but I don't. I don't necessarily remember any of his other roles. He's a, he's a, he's a good actor. He's done a lot of great things. I'm, I'm going I'm to make you finish the Expanse at some time because he's, he's a, a memorable role in that. Oh, okay. He puts his glasses on and starts working. She's like, "That's it." He says, "That's it." She asks for her Walkman back, and he actually gives it to her. Cut to the evening. Notice in her room. How, how, what, would you, what would you say about this guy, the guidance counselor of the semi-military state? Seem like a decent dude. Think he's speaking actually speaking honestly with her? Yeah. Pretty much. I, I mean, it, you know, I mean, it, when he said, you know, hey, we're we're uh, we're cool in the summer and hot in the winter. We have comfortable, but we have our own rooms, basically. Mm-hmm. Like that's some real inside baseball shit. Mm-hmm. That seems like he's being honest with her. Like this is like basically saying, here's why I like to be an officer. I get my own room. Like it's that's little, pretty honest. It sounds works, like they matter. Yeah, it sounds like it. So cut to the evening. Notice in her room there are pictures of drawn dinosaurs. No pun intended. Volume one. Volume mm-hmm. one by mm-hmm. Will Livingston mm-hmm. is there. Probably a lot of dog ears on that. Also a picture of the comic book we saw earlier, Savage Starlight. And she's reading the comic. It's raining outside. She throws the comic book down and looks across the room to an empty bed. She hears lights out, ladies, and a knock on the door. Turn them off! She turns the lights off and lays down. She then tries to get some sleep, which it seems like she does until 1.53 a.m., we see she has tapes of Etta James, Aha, and a poster of Mortal Kombat 2 on her wall, and someone comes into her window. Any comments on Ellie's uh, room here? Uh, well, Ellie has some great taste in music, and I enjoy that we get to hear these songs later on in the episode, because that's wonderful. Uh, I like that we're, we're, tying, we're grounding ourselves in the imagery we already know that Ellie's been associated with, which is fun for an episode like this that's been exploring where those came from. And also, as much as I like Riley as a character, 
this is one of the dumbest things we've seen anybody do in this show, is try to wake up Ellie unexpectedly at night by getting on top of her and covering her mouth. That's how you get stabbed, particularly in this world, particularly by Ellie. Yeah, so that is exactly what happens. She climbs in against the backdrop of an empty bed. It's her hand over her mouth. I did like her climbing in, Riley climbing in over the backdrop of the empty bed. I thought that was cool imagery of her old, it, old bed. It, 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 it told us what was going on without literally saying it out loud. That's quality filmmaking. Yeah, and puts a hand over her mouth and Ellie fights back. Throws her on the ground and pulls the knife out. It's Riley, someone Ellie clearly knows well. Riley says it was a joke. She thought it would work better. In my head, it was funny. I thought this would be a funny thing. She asks how it's going and Ellie starts to give her shit. Saying she's been gone for three weeks, Spencer. Three fucking weeks. Not, not she, insignificant. That's, you know, she, assuming you're dead territory. She can go ahead and knife her. Uh, she says, if you're going through some shit, you should talk to your best friend about it. So establishing that Riley and Ellie are best friends. Mm-hmm. Riley yeah. notices the black eye. Riley is also a name that came up earlier in this, some conversations earlier. In, Marlene, yeah. Yeah, with Marlene. So, and, yeah, it definitely had come up before. Well, important context, too, is where Ellie referred to Marlene and the Fireflies as terrorists. To which Marlene, Do you think Riley was a terrorist? Yes, to which Ellie shut the fuck up when that, was, when, that, when that example was pointed out. Riley notices the black eye, asks how Ellie got it. Riley says she's going to fuck up whoever did it. It was Bethany, and I already fucked her up. Ellie asks <laughs> her where proud. she was. Riley looks down, looks away, and says, I joined the Fireflies. Ellie doesn't immediately believe her, <clears throat> but Riley shows her the handgun in her waist. Ellie freaks out. You join the Fireflies? Riley, understandably, wants her to lower her voice. She says she'll tell Ellie everything, but first you have to promise me something. Sort of crazy. You're going to say no, but then you can. But then you have to say, you're going to say no, but then you have to say yes. Come with me for a few hours and have the best night of your life. That, that <laughs> I, I love that little unpacking of, me having known you for years now, I'm already going to tell you what the process of this conversation is going to be so we can get faster to the fun. She says, no. Okay. No. Now say yes. Yeah. <laughs> Ellie points out that in just a few hours, she has to wake up to train to kill fireflies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Riley throws her some pants and tells her to get dressed. Ellie looks at the pants and says, so stupid. Which is the an pants on. implication that she's going to do it. She goes to put the pants on, but she does tell Riley to turn around first. Now, Riley says, you're so weird about that. So this must be something that comes up with them regularly. Um, that Ellie did, doesn't like to change in front of her. Okay. So seeing that, and then now knowing later where the episode goes with respect to their relationship, did this moment give you a hint as to maybe some possible feelings, particularly from Ellie's direction towards Riley? Oh, for sure. Yeah. Otherwise she would just change in front of her because Mm -hmm. it's like, otherwise it's just, if they're just girls that are just friends, they would, she would have no problem. Yeah. Changing her pants in front of her. Right. The fact that she has an issue with that clearly establishes to me that, uh, not clearly, but it it, it is a good hint that there's something there. It it is one of, it it becomes a now possible and available explanation for character action. Yeah, but I also got a hint that Ellie was into girls when Joel in an earlier episode asked her if she had a boyfriend, and she said the way she said no made it seem like 
she was saying no to the idea of having boyfriends in general. Oh, you're smart. You're wicked smart. Yeah, that that was a hint earlier of where she said, like, I think it's it's either Joel or Tess ask her like three questions, and the first two she says yeah, no, no, and then they get to and and boyfriend. She says and no. no. <laughs> yeah, and I was like, that's not that's not just a casual like no, I don't have a boyfriend at this moment. That's mocking emphasis. Yeah, Riley looks down and sees the Walkman and the Aha tape and smiles. Ellie says, if you're thinking about hanging in the park, you can't do that anymore. Riley says, they aren't going to the park. Trust me. You trust me, right? Of course you should. With your life. Interesting line that comes into play later. This idea is you're, you're trusting her with your life by going to this thing, which she actually is doing. Like four times this line about, do you trust me, comes up again. I feel like we're rewatching Aladdin here at a certain point. Question for you, Spencer. Should she have trusted Riley? As it turned out, Yes. Still, it's dumb, but Riley is in no way, you know, meaning her ill in any way and does give her what quite possibly is the most fun night of her life. I don't know that that's a fair trade. I think I I know I was was trying to have my cake and eat it, too, there. No, I think that I think she should. I, I think that the issue is that Riley is not competent enough to trust. Like, so first off, she doesn't she doesn't clear them all before she has her come in there. If she'd have just walked into this toy store, she would have seen the infected. What? The second thing is the the Fedra doesn't have a high opinion of her, and it doesn't seem like the Fireflies have a very high opinion of her either. So I don't think I like I don't mean to, no disrespect to your girl, Ellie, but it doesn't seem like Riley's super competent. Yeah, and I, I also put a little bit of blame on the Fireflies too. Where from what we hear in this episode, the Fireflies, Kirkman Bronger assigned her to this place is like you know a out of the way storage for pipe bombs and other ordnance kind of thing so the fireflies also apparently didn't explore this place fully before assigning a member in their valuable ordnance here so you know maybe it's also telling you something about firefly competence as well they take off down the window and get into the alleyway car comes by on patrol but they hide riley says "Whoo, that was a rocky start but we're okay Mentioned something about it could have been another 7-Eleven situation. What is that? What is a 7-Eleven situation? Uh, not explained. But I'm, I'm guessing they're meaning 7-Eleven in terms of some hollowed out remnants of the store and some prior event that happened there between the two. Hmm, okay. Riley well, says that since Ellie is so interested in self-preservation all of a sudden, maybe she should stop fucking with that bitch Bethany. He's mm-hmm. the worst. Bethany sucks. Bethany suck. I mean, I, I hate to say this, but I, should we go so far as saying utterly unredeemable? terrible unredeemable the worst way worse than way worse than Gollum, right because yep. Gollum, Gollum's still redeemable way well, worse that's a fundamental to tolkien philosophy but even tolkien will look at bethany and go just no, no nothing to be done there nothing to be done with bethany so what's that about what's your fight with bethany she goes nothing it's stupid shit and then i think ellie's like excited to tell riley this. she says she had to get 15 stitches but riley is not impressed says maybe you shouldn't mess with people like that ellie kind of snaps a little oh i'm sorry you telling me not to beat people up you put carol in the infirmary for a fucking week whoa okay riley says she can't fight everyone she should pick and choose who to fight ellie says did you learn that at firefly university and riley's like yeah kind of but i'll tell you this i don't know how much real training riley is getting from the fireflies it seems like they handed her a gun and told her to go to the i think they handed her a gun and said go to the mall now, she, Riley seems to be very firmly in the child soldier level of training and not like, you know, Spartans and Halo level of child soldier training. Just the we've given you a gun and we're going to tell you to do shit. And if you live long enough to learn things, maybe we'll have you do other shit. Pretty much. 
So they're still walking through the alley and Ellie asks where they are going. She says, through a damn window. And then they go through a damn window. Ellie jokes that it's the best night of her life so far because the fun hasn't started yet. She tries to get her flashlight out, but Riley's works better. One point for the anarchist. Yeah, they steal the best shit. They go up the stairs and Riley apologizes, but it's much more than two flights of stairs. We get this recurring joke about the number of flights of stairs you have to walk. Uh, no, yeah. no, ele- no elevator and only apparently one escalator and all the QZs. So. <laughs> only internal. They get there and they see a dead body. And this is a guy who's clearly OD'd. Um, uh, and as they debate, do you think intentionally so? Because it seems that's I'm, the way Ellie's leaning. I'm with Ellie here. Yeah. yeah, He has pills and a bottle of booze next to him. Could not help but think of Joel here. The pills and the bottle of booze. It's the same cocktail that seemingly, seemingly Joel, Joel was taking. And so I think maybe, maybe what it, it's a little Easter egg for us of like, this could, like if, if this thing with Ellie hadn't come along, this might have been Joel's path that, in life. That is an excellent and fun read. That is a, that is a really interesting call right there. That is a fun thing to ponder. Yeah. I, I, I think that like the way he was going, you know, we we talked about the number of pills he took at one time. He was down how a he handful. Danny was taking drinking a lot of whiskey, and he clearly did it while the sun was still out. This is not healthy behavior, and but it seems like maybe Ellie kind of snapped him back into life, gave him purpose, right? It may it may also remind us too of Bill and Frank, and then putting the pills in crush form in their wine as well. There is a recurrent theme throughout the season of mixing pills and wine for the purpose of suicide or possible suicidal tendencies. Uncle Lee out there to the kids. Do not do that. I was really curious where you were going to go with on that. It's like, do there not. better be only one thing he says here. Take all medication as subscribed and read the label. If it says don't take with alcohol, by God, don't take it with alcohol. Thank uh, you for going out on a limb with that one, Uncle Lee. He <laughs> leans down and looks at him. So disgusting. Um, Riley confirms that the guy had been there the day, had not been there the day before. So he mm-hmm. just recently died. They see the booze. Ellie picks it up. Ellie smiles. She makes mention that this isn't, uh, I guess, the typical moonshine or the typical stuff that they are making in the QZ. So it must have been something that was vintage bottled pre the world ending. Mm-hmm. The they stuff. posit that he probably had to spend all of his money for this thing. And if that's the case, then it lends even more credence to the idea that he was intentionally trying to kill himself, right? He blew all his money to have one last good drink type of deal. You can see how people might romanticize this type of absolutely ridiculous and um, uh, childish behavior. Mm-hmm. Um, when the guy, then the guy falls through the floor. Which is, it, I, I'm almost with the two of them. It is the timing of it is it's just so sudden. Whatever else, I started giggling. Ellie laughs and they go downstairs. Riley. Drink, uh, drink some of the alcohol, clearly hates it. Ellie drinks some of it as well, tries to hide that she hates it, but says, it's great. We know that Ellie, in the future timeline, still doesn't like alcohol. Still terrible. Yeah. Ellie asks her if that was the first dead body she ever saw. And Riley says, no, my parents. This seems like the type of thing where Ellie knew that detail, but had forgotten it in the conversation and says, tries to apologize. But Riley just says, yeah, it's fine. It's fine. It, um, clearly, though, for Riley, it isn't. Clearly, this is very much an open wound for her that is even informing her present actions and behavior just to try to replicate what she has lost. So, yeah, as much as she tries to brush it off here, also her parents seems to be a key, a key integral part of her character. Well, we've talked about how the kids who grow up in this society, how they might be affected, right? Ellie's yeah. 
penchant and obsession for firearms, for instance, which is on display here in the scene. I would think also a desire to belong is probably a little bit more pronounced in a society where everything has gone to shit, right? Where there's so everything is so out of control, there's probably even more focus on I need my little circle. Very true. We, we, we also don't exactly hear, but given that we, we hear Riley say she's going to turn 17 here soon, right? Is that what you said? Yes, she's 16. She's about to turn 17. Yep. So, so she must have lost her parents during, well, after, after the world ended effectively, which raises interesting questions as well about maybe where certain, certain sorts of resentment for Fedra might come from. Yeah. So she does allow Ellie to look at her gun for just a little while and then she takes it back. So what happened? This is Ellie talking to Riley. So what happened? You started dating some firefly dude and you thought, oh, this is cool. I'll become a terrorist. This really rings uh, to me of the guy in the bar who's like, you know, how I can't believe your boyfriend let you be out so late, you know, mm. just to just to see if the, the girl says probing. Hey, exactly. <clears throat> Riley jokes. Yep, that's it. We're getting married. Ellie asks what's really happened. And Riley explains that she went out one night. She was sneaking back in. Like I do. Mm-hmm. Some chick saw her and was impressed with her sneaking skills. This was Marlene. Do you believe this, that Marlene was impressed with Riley's sneaking skills? I think Marlene has some nuance, but I'm willing to put money down that Marlene gave a shit about what Riley's stealth stat was. I She saw, I, an, she saw an in into Fedra. She saw a chance to recruit another useful body. She saw someone that she maybe could use to establish other leads into Fedra later. She did not. I don't think she gave too much of a shit about Riley's individual characteristics. No, but she probably did play to her ego to help yes. her to get a recruiter. Like, oh, we could use somebody like you because she probably picked up, which turns out to be true, that this concept of being wanted is very important I'm, to Riley. I, I'm, I'm betting that Marlene has probably successfully used that for child soldier recruitment on more than a few sta- points in the past. I think you have a very accurate summary of what is probably a primary youth motivation in this world right now now you're an uncle right i am okay how old are your nieces and nephews uh it's it's a whole herd of them but they range in total between uh 10 and 3 okay do you want to know how they talk about you and your age go on i don't know it's exactly like riley talks about marlene's age here old (laughs) 40 i don't know 50 something Mm -hmm. I don't know, old. It's yeah. such a funny, it's, it's such great writing. Oh, How kids, know. like for kids, like once you reach about 30, up until about 60, 70, it's all kind of the same. So I yeah. don't know, just just old. They're all nearer to death. So, you know, there's no need to distinguish it. <laughs> so we get more about Marlene recruiting her. Part of the recruiting was asking Riley what she thought about Fedra. Riley said they're fascist dick bags and they are the ones that should be hanging for their crimes, not the citizens. Mm-hmm. Ellie asked if there was any weird initiations nope apparently not i thought that was an interesting question any any weird initiations it made me think there might be like some urban legends about fireflies I would, yeah again i would put money the federal particularly the federal recruits have probably admitted these elaborate stories about what kind of blood rituals are required to join the firefly organization ellie then says that she's not so sure about riley's position that fedra is kind of holding everything together so she's towing the company line that fedra's holding everything together riley sort of shuts all that down and says look we got a mission so they start hopping from building to building, roof jumping, little Assassin's Creed shit right here, jumping from building, building to building. Uh, now, I got to ask you, sir, because everyone always brings this up, but neither of us ever seem to. I saw a lot of people online saying this was another example of HBO darkening their scenes too much. 
Did you have that same effect? Not only did I not have that problem, it did not occur to me that somebody might have that problem. When I watched the long night, the episode of Game of Thrones, I, I did think, oh, somebody might complain about this. It didn't even occur to me somebody might complain about this episode. That's how far away from it it was. People are already mocking it. Is why is it only HBO that doesn't know how to darken their material? Lol. Okay, well, that did not have that that have that uh, issue. Neither or, did I. I could see clearly and thought it was actually pretty well filmed. But yeah, or see it at all. Actually, uh, eventually, uh, Ellie needs a second. She stops and says, "Those lights are new." Riley points out that Fedra put in new lights because more people in the QZ means they need more apartments. Ellie then says, "Oh, so I guess Fedra is so bad." Riley says, "Fascist dickbags starving their own population versus." More lights, right? Like, which one's which one's worse? Uh, which Ellie has an effective rejoinder here about, uh, you know, you guys blowing up the storage depot didn't really help. You know that, right? But, you know, every time Riley attempts to defend the Fireflies, it sounds like someone who doesn't know anything about the Fireflies, which it, is what Ellie points out later. Ellie's like, you're joining something you don't know anything about. This is one of the things where I thought it was a little bit unfair for the Fireflies that Riley is our representative here, because I'm not sure she even read the intro pamphlet. Like, there's a required three, four days of just mandatory training, and I'm pretty sure that she read, like, the first page of the PDF and then just, you know, went back to her phone. Also, like, it can't, it's okay to say it. Riley's not super capable. She doesn't seem that smart. She seems like <laughs> I, in every everybody who's ever... That the people that we have seen that have been had a chance to interact with her and judge her capabilities have all judged her middling. Like, that's what it is. Yeah, should we consider it notable that when Riley says here in a minute that she's been assigned to uh, that she was going to be assigned by the guy, you know, military guidance counselor to doing sewage duty, that Ellie doesn't even make an effort to say, "Oh, you you should have so much better than that. You should merit so much more than that." Ellie's just like, "Oh." All right. Like, she just said, fuck. Yeah. Like, almost like she like knew that was coming. They, they, they probably discussed it late at night, worried about it, that she wasn't getting better in her scores. Because in this conversation, Riley says, they don't do that. And Ellie's like, yeah, they, they do do that. They do blow up. The, and, and I'm sure that fire the Fireflies do that because they're trying to undermine Fedra's ability to govern. Like, mm-hmm. why wouldn't you do anything that could destabilize their governance structure? Of course you would. Good. Riley clarifies they don't do that to citizens. So she's just making shit up now. Ellie says, that's propaganda bullshit. Riley gets quiet. Okay. So um, Riley says, one, you don't know everything. And then very Spencer-esque here for my girl, Ellie. She just goes, agree to disagree. I was so with her when she said that. <laughs> I think we've had this exact same conversation. Okay, you don't know everything. Uh, agree to disagree. Yeah. Uh-huh. Two, we are here. Ellie protests going to the mall, saying it's full of infected. But Riley says, if it's sealed off, why isn't it sealed off? i got to tell you, Spencer, that doesn't seem like a really good reason to jump into the mall to me. No, it's not that it's not sealed off. No, 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 no. If you want a reason to jump at the mall, the fact that it now has power for the first time in a long period of time and there might be useful shit in there because nobody goes there. Fine. Justifiable. The idea that it's sealed off, therefore it is inherently safe is a profound bit of assumption that gets a person killed before this is over. And off they go into the mall. As they do, ominous music plays. Riley then points out. That when the new lights were put in, they connected the block to the grid, mm-hmm. the entire new block. So when they connected that whole block to the grid, that gave lights to the mall again for the first time in God knows how long. Mm-hmm. So, so I, seemingly since shortly after, like the riots of the pandemic or the riot of, of, or the apocalypse kind of died down. It seems like this place has been untouched for going on two decades. 
Riley makes a comment that when they turned the lights on on the block, that that effectively gave power to the mall, not that Fedra would know. And I'm like, Fedra probably does know that. They probably are very aware who's getting power and, who, and where the power is. Like, they have to, they have to be the ones to turn the current on and they yeah. have to be the ones to figure out if they have enough energy at whatever plant. I don't know how, what if it's a coal plant or what it is to continue to power this grid. So they, they're probably very aware of it. Yeah. It was, it was interesting too, of where we had debated to what degree, like the population of the QZ was going up or down given the casualties we saw. This is explicitly saying that it's increasing, that there are more people coming in, that you know the community is growing. So like you said, like, yeah, they're probably aware they got the entire block turned on. They may have longer-term plans to make them all into something again. Riley gives Ellie some instructions on where to go. Ellie on brand is being difficult, but Riley pushes her to do it, and Ellie eventually does. She walks in and tells Riley where she's at. Ellie's flashlight isn't working, but then whew, she hears something, and oh, let there be light. The entire mall has lights turned on, and it is something it, to see. We get a beautiful it, shot of it. It is gorgeous. It, 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 very much mirroring even just the colors of the video game, and it is just beautiful to see it on the screen. Yeah. Ellie is mesmerized as she should be. It's fucking, it's, it's fucking. Ellie then worries about the lights, but Riley reassures her. Tells her that tonight she's going to show her the four wonders of the mall. Ellie looks amazed. You plan stuff? And Riley just takes off. So when she says you plan stuff, that was also another hint to me. <laughs> it was because it's, it's yeah. like, because she didn't say it like, oh, you, what the fuck? Uh, you, you, you plan stuff? It was. You did this for me, like an excitement that you did this for me type yeah. thing, which shows a level of affection that's not it, just friends. It, that, that was a very much of, I don't care whether you think it is or not, this is our first date and I'm excited. Pretty much. First, an escalator, which Ellie calls electric stairs. And as Ellie plays on them, AHA's Take On Me plays in the it, background. Which, this is one of the tapes it, we saw earlier. Which is great. I love the use of the song in this particular moment. I also just love Ellie's out, in fairness, I think every single person that's been expo exposed to an escalator at some point in their lives has done this and had a blast doing it. I'm sure I never did because I have a thing with heights, but uh, <laughs> but uh, I could see how you would. I mean, one of the cool parts about this show is that Ellie did not grow up in the before times not and not. we get to see through her eyes what would be amazing to someone who – did not grow up in the before times. So for instance, like even the concept that Joel ever once flew on an airplane mm -hmm. was like a miracle Magic. to her. Right. Um, the idea that like this, these stairs move, is, I'll, bet, I'll bet if she ever found herself like at a, an old airport and you know, the, the, the moving walkways oh, in yeah, the airport, yeah, horizontal. I'll bet she'd be running wind sprints on those things. seeing how fast she could go. Like <laughs> all these things are really exciting to her. And as they should be, I love that we get that level of like, childish wonder with things that seem mundane for me and you now there, there was magic in the world it is now it, this is the same thing of like finding a, a magical sword buried away in a ruin that this is the before age was truly a time of magic and she's only getting little glimpses into it yeah because she asks is this the first wonder and riley's like uh i guess there's five wonders yeah <laughs> i wasn't planning on that one but yes retroactively she likes escalators underline Ellie trips a little, falls on Riley, and gets a tad awkward when they actually touch each other. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you, you caught that. Riley pushes her to keep exploring. We see a poster for Dawn of the Wolf Part 2. Spencer, you know what this is? Because I, I do. I don't, actually. No, go on. Okay. It is an in-universe movie. It's not a real movie. Uh, it's an in-universe movie that they created 
to be a young adult Twilight equivalent <laughs> at the time. They couldn't get permission from Stephanie Meyer to use her particular works. So they made their own. Right. So this this got released in what, 2012, something like that, 11. Mm-hmm. This is like hey, heyday of Twilight. So they did a Twilight equivalent, which is Dawn of the Wolf. We also see a sign that says back in five minutes in the movie theater ticket window, which is pretty tragic, obviously. Mm-hmm. Riley points out it's not exactly full of infected, which makes sense. Infected would eventually go underground away, leave if there are no people in the mall for prolonged periods. If this mall hasn't had people in it for 20 years, the infected aren't going to congregate there. That doesn't mean there aren't any infected, though, Riley. And maybe, just maybe, I mean, I know I'm spitballing here, but if you're going to come the day before... And spend enough time to sit and play Mortal Kombat to the point that you actually figure out how to do some of the finishers. Yeah, it might have been smart to look in every single storefront to see if Infected are there. It would have been smart for her. It would have been smart for the Fireflies. There's a lot of dumb that was at play here. I do like, though, that when we, with respect to that Infected that we see later, it makes it all the more explicit that the human Infected are effectively, pardon the term, the spores. They are the they are the vector. They can go into an almost like a dormant state connected to the actual fungal plant, and then when stimulus occurs, like a spore, they can be sent out to try to spread themselves around. Most of them, we all hear from Joel, die just from the process of time as the plant tries to conserve resources, but some can remain for even seemingly. This guy's been here just plugged in for dec- for two decades. Yeah, Riley points out it's not exactly full of infected, right? We pointed that out. Riley mm-hmm. explains that people were looting the mall until the military shut it down. Ellie is confused why people wanted sneakers and not soap. That's uh, <laughs> such yeah. a funny line. <laughs> the, the, the people were looting in the like the days immediately after this, thinking you know maybe maybe the world wasn't going to go to shit for the next hundred years, and they were stealing Jordans or whatever, and not the soap, which is actually way more valuable now. Yeah, hindsight, you know. No no one had a frame of reference to think that the world would never return. Or that, which is the fancy lingerie that they look hmm. at. Riley points out it looks uncomfortable. Yeah. Riley laughs and then says, I was trying to imagine you wearing that, which seems just like flirting. That just seems like outright flirting to me. It did. And I think Ellie is almost... Ellie's in that state that I was constantly in her age of where somebody says a line like that and then in your head you're going, was that flirting? Was that flirting? How do I respond if I think it was flirting? What if it wasn't flirting? What do I do? So she kind of just chuckles it off, but then stares very notably both at her own reflection and at the lingerie as Riley walks away. Yeah, Ellie was like fixing her hair, trying to make sure she looked looked pretty good in the reflection. Yeah, that's at least what I took from that. I had the exact opposite problem in elementary school than what what you just described. Like someone would cut the girls. No, but I would just assume they were flirting. And I would, most of the time, I was wrong. They'd, you know, they'd come up and they'd say, "Oh, blah, blah, you know, blah, blah, blah." And you're, like you're doing the mental monologue of, "Was that flirting? Is it not? What should I say?" I was going, I, "I did not know she was in love with me." Shit, <laughs> damn, that's another one today. Is in love with me. I was we, wrong a lot. We we here we here at this particular podcast are here to represent two different ends of the spectrum when it comes to individual confidence. We're here for you, folks. <laughs> I was wrong a awful lot. <laughs> Uh, so hey, I was pass. wrong an awful lot too, but I missed opportunities. You got yours. We see them pass Gap for kids, which I think is interesting that they're they're throwing in stores that really did exist back then, right? It makes it more real that they're mm-hmm. like, oh yeah, back in two thousand three or whatever, there was Gap for kids. Riley asks Ellie to close her eyes. Riley then takes Ellie's hand. This is just, I mean, this is a never let go, Jack situation mm-hmm. on the front of the Titanic. My goodness. <laughs> 
They keep walking, holding hands. They stop, and she tells Ellie to open her eyes. She keeps asking, do you trust me? Do you trust me? Do not trust her, Ellie. She learned the Mortal Kombat finishers instead of checking for infected in all the stores. She doesn't know what she's doing. Sir, sir, it is Mortal oh. Kombat 2. There are priorities in life. Good. Great. Well, <laughs> she she had those priorities in life, and that cost her her life. Mm-hmm. Ellie gets excited. We see that it's a merry-go-round, which has to seem like fucking magic to her. Mm-hmm. Like, unbelievable, All right? the lights still working with the song lightly playing in the background. Did you, did you recognize the song? I did not. What was it? It's uh, Just Like Heaven by The Cure. It's the song this carousel was playing, apparently. It was a, a more carousel-y version. <laughs> That's right. Because most of the, the in-mall carousels in 2003 were playing a Cure cover. That works. I, I, I want to go. <laughs> I wish that I could have gone to this mall. What a cool mall. <laughs> Ellie walks up to it. Riley turns it on. It starts to move, and that amazes Ellie as it should. They get on horses and ride around. Ellie's just smiling, looking over it. Riley, they start to do the you're drunk, you're drunk, you're drunk thing that like people who've never drank before do. Mm-hmm. And then she said, Riley says, not yet. Give it to me. So they start drinking some more. Riley gives it to her and starts to drink. Ellie puts the bottle away. This is, you know, at least 14 years old. She's housing some alcohol. It does beg the question. What's the first time you tasted alcohol in your life, Spencer? Put it to your lips. First time. First time would probably be a family dinner of where my mom, probably my mom just said, would you like to try a sip of my wine? And I, of course, said, sure. So almost Were you 25, 26 when this happened? No, we're talking like 11 or 12 kind of thing. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah, I I'd certainly, so alcohol was like ever present in, in my household growing up. My parents drank and like, I don't know when it was, but I am sure it was before 14. I tr- I went to the little cabinet and tried the Seagrams or whatever. It was, it was certainly before 14. So it doesn't seem like, I think I bring it up because I, I imagine there's some people out there like thinking it's weird. This 14 year old girl's drinking and it is, but I think that if you dig into, weird. if you, yeah, if you dig into most people's drinking history, they would tell you that the first time they tried alcohol was around the similar age. Yeah, I think that's really kind of true across cultures. I'd say, like, if we go to, like, Europe, I think the average person has tried alcohol at, like, six or five just because wine on the table is perfectly normal in a lot of cultures. So I, I don't... I did not find it that unusual to see a 14-year-old housing some proper gulps of that bottle. What... Do we do we know what that bottle is? I, I could never see the label. No, I couldn't. Some, some, some kind of whiskey or scotch, probably, or something. It looked like maybe a scotch bottle. Uh, a lot of looking over at Ellie... A lot of looking over at Riley by Ellie. Mm-hmm. Little little uh, longing glances, I would call it. We're getting the most obvious physical signals from Ellie throughout all this. Yeah, and then it stops and Riley says, oh, come on, let me see if I can fix it. Ellie then asks her to wait. Ask her, look, uh, did you really leave because you thought you could liberate this place? Riley tells her not to say it like it's a crazy fantasy. She points out they've succeeded. In other QZs, eh, is apparently eh. succeeded is a broad term. Well, but I, my question is, are they talking about KC? Because KC doesn't. KC seems like a different thing. Well, KC, KC hasn't even happened yet. But uh, in terms of like KZ does not. From what we saw of them, we didn't see them like reciting well, Firefly propaganda or have Firefly logos on their trucks. Yeah, it seemed like KC was a different thing that happened. Yeah, so they must be talking about. Like for the fireflies taking over some different QCs we haven't heard about. So it might actually have worked okay. Like we don't know it we, was a dis- the same disaster KC was. We have no frame of reference. The, we, have, we, we, we get data points on very few parts of the world outside of where our characters are. And I think we're better off for it. Ellie kind of pitches the idea they could change Fedra from the inside. They could run things. But Riley says it's not realistic for her. She got her assignment because she's coming up on 17. Guess what it was? Sewage. Sewage. 
Hey, she, hey, <sighs> hey, hey, she can hang out with her best friend, Bethany. Uh, well, Bethany's going to be an officer. Do we already establish that? That, it, is, it, it, that is true. That The pricks usually are. Uh, you know, and she will be the worst the entire time that she is. Yeah. Uh, well, I look, this path that Ellie is on is a thousand percent the path I would be in in this world. We've talked about this on the podcast before. Like I would a hundred percent be in with being an officer in Fedra, trying to change it from the inside, trying to make sure that all the bullshit that Fedra is doing, like I somehow get in a position of power to be able to stop it incrementally. All that would be important to me. All that'd be important to me. Uh, what would you be doing in this situation? Would you be in Fedra school? I mean, yeah, because yeah, yeah. yeah. they hit you with the magic word. They called it school. They did. Yeah, it's like you're providing a means to books and education. It's like, yeah, please sign me up for your propaganda. Yeah. R- Ellie asked Riley why she didn't tell her any of this. And this being the, um, yeah, tell her any that of this. She's gonna yeah, yeah, yeah. That she's going to leave all that yeah. stuff, right? She said, I don't know. I panicked. I ran. And the longer I was away, the harder it was for me to come back. Is that making sense? So what she was saying is like, why didn't you tell me, A, you got an assignment that was sewage and B, that you were going to leave and go be a firefly or that you were thinking about? Because it seems like Riley told Ellie, yes, I'm going to join the fireflies. But it seemed like a far away type thing Mm -hmm. to Ellie, right? Or or, or was always just like a childhood fantasy or a joke. Not something that we've taken like, my plan is to join the fireflies next Tuesday. Riley says that Ellie is the one thing she misses from that fucking place. If that makes a difference, Ellie motions that it does make a little difference. Riley says they have more wonders, but Ellie questions how it could ever get better than a magic horse with a million lights. And that's a really good question. That's a great question, but it, it does get better. What, what, do then, you think, they, what do you think of Riley's explanation, by the way, about the longer I was away, the harder it was for me to come back. That resonated. I understand that kind of emotional response situation where she knows that she fucked up, but the fact that she knows does not make it any easier to come back and only actually harder over time. Oh, it's like when you, uh, you're, you're a jackass to your friend yeah. and then you don't text the next day. And then the second day you don't text and the third day, you don't. Text. And then like by the fourth day, it's like, it's, it's like the heaviest phone you've ever owned. You know, mm-hmm. it's like an iPhone one. It's a brick <laughs> in your hand because it's so hard to text because you've, you've waited so long. Yeah. It makes it's very relatable. They get into a photo booth and they ask her, if she's done it before. Riley says, no, you idiot. I was waiting to do it with you. Then Ellie and Riley start doing poses. The last one, they're hanging on to each other a little long and Ellie kind of motions for Riley to get off of her, but Riley takes a while to do it. I, I, Typical love, sort of teenage flirting angst here, I think. I do love they fucked up the first picture because I don't think anyone who's ever been a photo booth has ever gotten the first picture timing right. Yeah, because yeah, you don't you don't see it coming. They it's almost like they should do a one false one, right? Yeah, they should take they should take one like they should, if you have a flash and it's not one they really take and then do five after yeah. that. That's what they should do. So this really just feels like typical teenage flirting angst, you know, mm-hmm. not really knowing how to articulate this stuff. Everything is the biggest thing that's ever happened, right? It's mm-hmm. all this. It takes on this outsized importance. Every hand touch, every shoulder touch, every glance, every everything it's is the end of the fucking world. New and magical and world changing. And hey, it is for them and particularly for these two for this night. It is their most magical night in their world. They look at the pictures. Riley gives them to Ellie and they go off to more wonders. She asks Ellie to stop and listen. Ellie seems to pick up on what she's listening to and runs toward. Oh, oh no, come on. It's a fucking arcade. Ellie 
says, Riley, this is the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. Great scene here of them playing in the arcade and they have a great time. And of course they do. Arcades are fucking awesome. We have multiple arcades in the town that I live in and I love them. I go to one. I, I go to an arcade at least once a month. It is probably other than maybe, maybe golf, but it's, it's dicey. The best stress reliever I could ever get in my life is a fucking arcade. Asheville really needs to put that on like their tourism renovation form that come to Asheville. We have lots of arcades. It's a wonderful marketing pitch. Yeah, they do have a lot of, they've picked up on the fact that it's just really, I mean, of course, if you drink, it's a great thing to do while you're drinking, but I think it's just a great stress reliever in general for adults, especially our age. Cause so many of those games are nostalgic for us. It is just, it hits, it checks so many boxes to go to a fucking arcade right. so, for a 30 something in America right now. At any age, some of my favorite birthday parties growing up was when you arrived at an arcade and got five bucks and had just were able to just go hog wild. Oh, that poses a good question. We're, we're, we're running very short on time, so I can start just making go on. Yeah. general conversation. A question for you. Did you have birthday parties as a kid? Your, a party for Spencer birthday party? I did, yes. Okay. What is your memory of the best birthday party you had as a child growing up? Um, One... I'll say a category because I can't really remember individual ones, but definitely some of the best moments was when we would go do laser tag together. Late, there was a laser tag arena. Oh yes, you would like laser tag. It was a laser tag slash like arcade kind of thing mixed together, and like the first time we went and did that at a birthday party, and I realized I was just kind of really good or a lot better than all my friends at laser tag became a really fun moment that resonated for years of birthday parties all being centered around that particular activity. So yeah, that is like a birthday activity, birthday memories, laser tag at God, laser quest, Charlotte, where it's a hell of a fun time. Ah, I see mine. That's it. That sounds like a great one. And laser tag is very, that's a very Spencer thing. For those that don't, don't know Spencer, Spencer until maybe two or three years ago, every single time we would get together would bring Nerf guns. Uh, yeah. You did. You did it until you were like thirty-five. Like yeah. it, you've just recently stopped it, but you you brought Nerf guns for a very I, I, long time. I brought a VR headset that had the exact same effect the other day, so that I'm still doing it. That's true. The VR headset is is very close. Mine was my parents didn't have like a lot of money growing up, but they did f- figure out a way to like partially rent out a McDonald's, and me and my friends went to McDonald's and all had like a happy meal, and it was like par- partitioned off for us at this McDonald's. And I was mm-hmm. like the cool kid that like, cause we left school to do it. So, you know, we're not getting the school lunch. We're getting the McDonald's lunch, which oh, is like absolutely. infinitely better. But I'll tell you, an arcade would have been the best. Uh, arcade would absolutely have been the best. Did I tell you my law firm did an event doing laser tag at an arcade here recently? No, really? They did. And I was actually advised after the first round of laser tag, Spencer, we get that you're better than all of us. Can you dial it down a little bit? This is meant to make the summer associates happy to be here. That sounds right. That Yeah, that you're, <laughs> you're crushing some 20-something in laser tag. Hey, you're going to be on the course. you got to represent. you got to bring it. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's interesting. All right. So Riley has coins because she spent an hour breaking open the coin machine. I'd like to point out she spent an hour breaking open the coin machine and okay. she did not go check the mall for infected. That's I, all I'm saying. I, 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 I want, I, I'm hearing some criticism going Riley's way. I want you to summarize for me. If you could, if you had to give Riley's overall competence in terms of what she represents and can bring to bear on uh, a score out of 10, what are you giving Riley with all the aspersions you're throwing her way? Four. Four. So below average, not necessarily in the toilet, but well, it can't be in the toilet because she did, 
take notice that the lights in the mall come on and like she 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 clearly there's awareness right it's just a matter of being thorough and being motivated to check into particular things because when she's interested she clearly can check into things and can plan things and and really game out scenarios i mean this whole thing that she's planned here for ellie is cool and impressive and fun but she clearly isn't motivated to do the work of well the fir- i mean first thing first we have to make sure there's nothing in here that's going to eat our face hey, and that's a lesson just for all the kids out there maintain proper work ethic otherwise you're going to get sewage detail under bethany absolutely very important and you know is established fact kind of like the apple falling from the tree for newton that bethany does suck i mean that oh, yeah. is established I, fact here d- two law, plus two equals four law of the universe really they check out Daytona USA, absolute classic. You cannot oh, have yeah. an arcade without Daytona USA. That is no, like, it's required. It's that's required. almost like it might be like the number one thing you have to have is the four seater Daytona USA pod. Just because we're enjoying distractions, what is your arrive in an arcade, see this, and immediately think to yourself, this is going to be a good arcade? What is the cabinet that you see that makes you just happy to be there? It is the Star Wars game that has the joystick, mm-hmm. where you're you're in. You get to select either you are an X-Wing pilot in Yavin, Mm -hmm. you're one of the A-Wings in Hoth, Mm -hmm. or you're one of the speeder bikes on Endor. It's the complete trilogy, and you have the the joystick. If you've got that, A, I want to play it, but it also is just an indication that you probably have good games. How about you? Uh, tying back to what I said about laser tag, if they got a, they've got a quality like virtual cop, some quality light gun game, I'm just going to be it. Oh, like, or like Area 52. Remember Area 52? That, that oh like, yeah, oh yeah, you, that's a great one. Standing got, up, yeah. You've got that. My five bucks is well spent. Yeah, and they guess what? This one has though. Mortal Kombat 2, which is a great – there's three three now references to Mortal Kombat 2. You have the one that in this scene where they're mm-hmm. playing the game. You have the poster that Ellie has in her room of Mortal Kombat 2. And then you have the defunct Mortal Kombat 2 game at the beginning of Episode 3 that Ellie came in and got super excited and actually explained the finisher that we see in this scene – of Melina to Joel in that scene. So a lot of connections, a lot of callbacks. Which notably, she didn't even play Melina. She's talking about what Riley did. Exactly. She plays as Raiden and she plays Mortal catch. Kombat. She plays Mortal Kombat like I do, which is to try to get really close to the person and just punch them in the face a million times. I feel like every friend group in arcade has one guy that is just so much better than everybody else at fighting games that it's just not fun. It's just not fun. It's like that guy doesn't get to play anymore. Yeah, like you and Halo. Uh, I I get really close to people in Mortal Kombat and try to do the punch and get them stuck in the little loop of the punch where you can't pull back and can't get out of it. And I just Mm -hmm. punch you to death. It's it's very boring. Ellie gets smoked in the first round. Second is closer, but Melina wins. And then Riley does a finisher. It's the same finisher. Ellie references in episode three to Joel. It's where Melina sucks in Raiden and spits out his bones. Mm Mm-hmm. They keep playing as they play. The camera pans out and there's a sense of dread and it keeps panning and it goes down the hallway and into an old doll store. And in the corner, there is an infected. This is an infected that clearly has been there. Mm-hmm. It, it just wakes up because it hears them hooting and hollering and having a grand old time. Must spread fungus. Go. Uh, last time I'll say it. I promise. Last time I'll say it. Please. Riley would have seen this infected if she had just walked in the store. It's not hiding. It's not hiding. It's just on the wall there. This is something that any degree of proper 
reconnaissance of this particular establishment before setting up a base here that she's been in for days would have revealed this threat. And it's also dormant. They could have just stabbed it while it's out. Eventually it hears them and wakes up. They're having fun, but they are making a lot of noise. After the finisher, Ellie looks up at her and really lingers. And uh, Riley tells her. Lingers or even leans in kind of thing. Lean in. Yeah. You you want, you want to the key to Ellie's heart, give her mortal combat too. You know, your girl, my kind of girl too, right there. Absolutely. As, as Riley tells her to go to the next thing, Ellie tells her she got to go back. And she, Tone gets very serious here. She's like, I really have to go back. Because Ellie is still trying to keep to what she told the officer at the beginning of the episode, which is that she's going to try to, like, swallow her pride and do the right thing and follow the path to become an officer, which is an easier life for her in the QZ. Riley tells her she got her a gift. They go off into the old food court. They get into the macho nacho stand. Is it tacos? Is my gift tacos? It's not tacos. It's not tacos. Sorry. 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 And in the back... Ellie sees Riley's stuff and pieces together. It's where Riley has been staying. The gift is no pun intended. Volume two. Great gift. I mean, best gift ever for Ellie, really. Yeah. <laughs> what did the frustrated cannibal do? He threw his hands up. He what did the triangle? <laughs> what did the triangle say to the circle? Uh, you're so pointless. How does a computer get drunk? This one they don't get, which I love. I love that they don't get this one. It takes screenshots. What's a screenshot? What's a screenshot? That's so funny because they they don't have PCs. What do you call an alligator in a vest? They don't say this one, but this is the only one I knew. What is it? An investigator. Oh, investigator. Very, very good. At this point, Ellie sees bombs. Did you make these? And Ellie gets really upset about the bombs. Why? Because they're meant to kill her. And Riley then says some more nonsensical stuff, which is, we'd never use the bombs on you. Yeah, like, that's right. Tailor that's right. Because all of the fireflies in the QZ have, have memos stating, if you see Ellie, don't, don't, right. don't set off the bomb, but anybody else, you can do yeah. it. Yeah. We don't really have photo technologies much anymore, but don't worry. I drew you. 800 pictures that you all can carry with her so you recognize ellie when you play and when that doesn't work she says i'd never let them do that ellie correctly points out riley can't control shit ellie hands riley the bombs and just takes off and if ellie would have just left now would have lived she would well she continued she lived but riley probably would have lived at least for that for that night um here's a fun question uh do we assume that riley probably would have still died given that she was going to stay behind well, it's a good question because she she has she's moved to the food court and she's not ne- making nearly as much noise. Mm-hmm. So the infected might have gone to the arcade and stayed there. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure. So if Ellie had left, there would have been no deaths tonight. Everyone Ellie runs off yelling at Riley, telling her off. Fuck you. This and that. Riley tells her she's leaving. I'm leaving. They're sending me to a post in the Atlantic QZ. Riley apparently asked if Ellie could go, but Marlene said no. Okay. Like, I mean, that's a, such a crazy thing. It's like, well, she's a, she's never met Ellie. Mm-hmm. Like what, what Ellie hasn't asked to join Ellie. It's just, it's, man, I'll tell you this Riley girl is really kind of frustrating with some of her logic. It's also one of the things too. The fact that Marlene says no tells me that she doesn't want Riley to have friends or attachments. No. Fireflies. That, that, that's not how that works. It's like a Jedi. You can't, no attachment for a Jedi. It's like yeah. she's going to Dagobah. Hey, the Jedi, much as I love the Jedi, they are perfectly happy to use child soldiers. Riley says, she tried, but tonight's my last night in Boston. Ellie walks up to her and says, why did you bring me here? Riley says, because I wanted to see you. And, and I wanted to say goodbye. 
This is an easy alley. Ellie hits her with it. It actually is. You just did it. Bye. And Ellie walks off. She kicks something on her way out because Ellie destroys shit when she gets angry. Yeah. As Ellie is walking out of the mall quickly, she stops and thinks and turns around. And as she walks back into the mall, she hears something. It sounds like a scream. So she takes off and she walks into a, this is a Spencer's gifts, right? Some I, I didn't see whether it actually had a label on it, but it they, looks they, like one. They didn't give the, the title, but this is that's what Spencer's this store is. Suit. Yes, we, we we do that, but yeah, it, it is that place. We do this Spencer's store, so he knows. <laughs> Riley is sitting there and says, "Surprise, the fifth wonder." <laughs> I thought you'd like this one best, so I saved it for last. I guess it was stupid. It's not stupid, Riley. This what's stupid? Well, I, I said I wouldn't say it again. Riley then asked for the book. Or Ellie asks for the book, and she puts it into her bag. They sit down next to each other. Ellie says, so you leave me. I think you're dead. All of a sudden, you're alive, and you give me this night, this amazing fucking night. Now you're leaving again forever to join some cause I don't even think you understand. don't think she does either. Ellie, good call. Tell me I'm wrong. And then we finally get the truth from Riley. Mm -hmm. She says, I think you don't know everything. You don't know what it was like to have a family to belong. I didn't have them for long, but I had them. I belong to them. I want that again. Maybe the fireflies aren't what I think they are, but they chose me. I matter to them. And then Ellie hits her with the, you matter to me first. God damn it. I want to punch you so bad. <laughs> That's a really meaningful exchange. I love that we get Riley dropping the fences and actually just speaking what she, why she's actually here and why she's chosen a new path in life. I don't agree with it, but it makes perfect it makes perfect sense for the character why she's doing the actions that she is, as well as it makes perfect sense for Riley to not give a fucking shit about any of that. Not Ellie to give any shit about any of that. Riley says, "Do it if it makes you hate me less." Ellie asks her if she's sure about it about leaving. Riley mm -hmm. says, "Yeah." Ellie tells Riley she's her best friend and that she's going to miss her. Riley gets up and says, "Night's not over yet." One last thing. Ellie says, "Sure." One last wonder. And I'm screaming, get the fuck out of there to my television screen. Ellie looks really sad when Riley walks away deep in thought. So we get that little brief moment where Ellie's by herself and she looks really upset. So Riley throws a wolf mask at Ellie and, and Riley pulls out the Walkman, plugs it in, puts on music. And Riley puts on a clown mask and they start dancing. And she actually gets Ellie to get up there and dance with her, which is shocking to me. I never would have thought. You, I mean, she Ellie likes Riley because Ellie is not a dancer. I'll go ahead and tell you that. And they start dancing to I Got You, Babe by Etta James. So it's yet another reference to what we saw before. Question, by the way. I, I, I did not look this up, so I'm curious. Sonny and Cher were the ones that originally did I Got You, Babe, right? This, Etta James is doing a cover of I Got You, Babe. Or did I get that entirely confused about who actually we, wrote that damn song? Etta James wrote it. Let, let me say something. She, whatever song Cher is singing, she did not write it. No, no, Sonny wrote it. I think Sonny wrote it. Sonny. No, I don't think so. You can look it up right now. As I, I will, I will look looking. up. I, I think I Etta James the wrote it. Doubting myself. And I now. think that the, it was a cover by uh, Cher and Sonny. I think we'll see. Okay. Spencer's looking it up right now. Ellie takes the mask off and looks at her. Ellie takes the mask off and says, "What?" And Ellie just shakes her head and says, "Don't go." Riley finally says, "Okay," and Ellie kisses her. Looks a little awkward and says, I'm sorry. Like she's like, I'm sorry. I did, you know, like giving herself an out. And then Riley hits her with the for what indicating that she liked it. That they're, they're on the same page. They both like each other. They both like women and Ellie smiles and they Riley smiles. And then they have a great laugh and a great moment and everything is perfect. And nothing at all is possibly going to go bad here. Nothing. And before we now move to everything going all to hell, uh, Sonny did write it, but Etta James is the most popular cover that has been actually 
Thank you, Wikipedia. They've already updated to include the fact that Last of Us used the Etta James cover of the song in the, in the, in the, in the episode Left Behind. Look at that. I'm not giving any respect to Sonny Bono, the songwriter that he was. No respect. <laughs> no respect. He gets no respect. Ellie asks, what do we do now? And Riley says, we're going to figure that out. So basically, like, we're going to be a team now. Like, it's going to be me and you. Like, I'm not sure Ellie's planning on going back to Fedra school. Like, I think they might just be teamed up and together, right? Mm-hmm. If they are allowed to live out of this moment. They're, they're like, gonna, hear something. They're going to be like Tess and Joel. It's going to be great. Yeah, because that was so that was yeah, going so yeah. great R- when we picked them up. Ma- Oof. Oof, <laughs> that was that did not. Yeah, they hear something and then an infected comes out. Riley shoots at it, but she can't shoot for shit. Might have been a good idea to teach Riley how to shoot when giving her a gun. This is something that Joel child soldiers training some, standards. Something that Joel realized, right? Joel did not give Ellie a gun without at least a brief little tutorial. The infected attacks Ellie and she stabs it multiple times, falls into a rack. Right during this whole process, Riley gets knocked out, knocked down. Clocked, yeah. Yeah, the infected gets on top of her and then Riley starts hitting it with a bat. Finally, Ellie runs up and stabs it with a knife in the head, which stops it. Ellie pulls the knife out and starts to laugh because Ellie, in her mind at this point, thinks they got away with it. Thinks Mm -hmm. they are okay and they're fine. Riley is looking down the entire time, which we all know in a zombie show. When one character is in the middle of a fight with a zombie and then turns and looks at another character and we get the POV shot of that character just looking at a particular body part. And then the camera turns to them. We know they've been bitten. That is exactly what is going on here. But then Ellie sees the the bite and she starts to to like rub her arm and yell. Now, this is the they fucked with me on the the next on. Mm-hmm. Because they showed me this scene on the next on, and I thought Ellie gets bit again and actually gets infected. It actually sticks. This, and it sticks this time. That's what was screwing me up, but it was actually just a flashback of the first time she was ever bitten. But then Riley shows her her own hand, and she's been bitten too, and Riley starts to cry. I, I feel like it's almost getting just repetitive at this point, but uh, should I call also call her your girl, Bella Ramsey? I don't think it works as well, but... but uh, Bella Ramsey is one hell of an actress that we get such an incredible range from her this episode of just every variety of emotion that you can find in the dictionary. But particularly in these moments, she does just rage well. Ellie pulls the knife out and starts to laugh. Uh, or no, that, that's the previous scene. Ellie responds by just breaking everything she can. She's just slamming shit, breaking shit. Ellie sits down. Riley says, well, it, you... It, is this the moment also where we, we get our one cut to Joel or does that happen later? I can't remember. It hasn't happened yet. Okay. And Riley says, we got two options. One, we can take the easy way out. She motions to the gun. So I guess she still got, she still got bullets in the gun. She didn't empty the chamber on that fucking thing. Nope. Unbelievable. Option two, we just keep going. And Ellie says, what are you talking about, Riley? It's over. Riley says, it will be, but not yet. It ends this way for everyone sooner or later. What a tragic line. It ends this way for everyone sooner or later, right? Some of us just get there faster than others, but we don't quit. Whether it's two minutes or two days, we don't give that up. I don't want to give that up. Basically, And then she holds Ellie's hand as she says this. Thank God they didn't choose option one because Ellie had no idea she's got immunity to this thing. She could have just offed herself. Yeah. Yeah. That would have some left for dead shit right there. Don't do that. Riley says, we can be all poetic and shit and lose our minds together. Riley says, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. She should be. Ellie, with tears in her eyes, leans over and they hug and Ellie just cries in her arms. Now we cut to present day 
And Ellie is looking all through this house and she sees a needle and some thread. She goes downstairs. She pulls Joel's blanket off. She holds his hand. He, he holds it back. So what appears to happen in present day is that Joel pushes her away, does his very best. You have to leave me routine. And when she comes back, Joel accepts that and, mm-hmm. and goes, basically, she's made, her, she's made her choice. I don't know if Joel necessarily has the energy to say no at this point. The guy is still bleeding out. But he, but yeah, but he did hold her hand back, which he, he did. did not have to do, which tells me that he's like, I think he's saying, okay, like, I, you know, what I, you want to do to Joel. I wanted you to go, but I'm so glad you're here. What you want to do to Joel is start to shake him and say, well, not now. He's bleeding. I, yes. Now, I'll do it now. Joel. How many times does she have to choose you? Stop making her have to choose you. Like, stop giving her this test. She's chosen you. Y'all, your paths are linked now. What? She's not going anywhere, dude. I stop he, making her do this. I think he's finally getting it, that he's not the only one that would lose something here if the other one left or the other one died or whatever else. That I don't think he... He's, he started to get it last episode. He's getting it even more now that... No, 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 Joe. If she lost you, she'd be as devastated and as ruined as you would be if you lost her. This is yeah. not this is not a one way street when it comes to the level of love and affection you, that there's you know resonating here. She's not leaving you, Joel. Like if you if you, if y'all break up, like break up meaning like separate physically from each other, separate physically from each other, you're going to have to do it. She's not going anywhere. So she gets to the wound and she starts to try to sew it up and it clearly fucking hurts. But Joel lets her do it. The scene is so good from Bella Ramsey. Yeah. How she's like panicking and looking like she's got tears in her eyes and she's looking back and forth at Joel as she's doing this and she's struggling with it and her hands are shaking. It, it It's believable. It's emotionally devastating. It's intriguing to watch. It's, I, I think Bella Ramsey knocked this scene out of the park. She did a great job this entire episode, but this particular last scene I thought was really good. Joel keeps looking back at her, but she keeps going, trying to save him. And then I just got in all caps to, in my notes for the episode. Save who you can save. This is what Ellie is doing here. She's saving who she can save. She cannot save Riley. Riley's gone. And I think that we got in it. I think my, my guess is here. We got an indication of El- the first time Ellie ever had to harm someone. I, I think she killed Riley. I think that's what happened there. I, I was curious if your thoughts and assumptions. The DLC cuts off at the same point. You don't see what actually plays out there in their two minutes, two days, whatever else time they spend together. You, you're, you're assuming that when she told Joel previously that she'd killed someone before, it was seemingly the first love of her life? Yes. Riley, Riley turns. She shoots Riley or stabs Riley. And then eventually the fireflies show up because they have bombs there and they're they're probably coming to pick Riley up for mm-hmm. the, in the morning to go to the Atlanta QZ and Ellie's like there with the bite, Cradling but that's probably, but that's probably when Marlene, who is not an idiot, Mm-mm. her, her, her actual intelligence kicks in and goes, wait a second. Y'all got bit at the same time. She turned to the point you had to kill her and you don't even show symptoms yet. We're going to chain you up and watch you for a little while. Yeah, and that's when days. she, and that's when she just started to figure out, Oh gosh, this girl's not turning, even though she's bit. And the whole thing got, yeah. the whole thing went into motion. The entire nature of our organization is now just changed with this revelation. All right. So I, I did, a, I covered an awful lot there in the recap. End of episode. What are your thoughts, Spencer? Again, I think as a standalone episode, which is what this more than anything is. It, Gives us further insight into the character, gives us further background about scenes we've already had seen or referenced before, tells us a well-told story, 
some way support episode three of two people finding each other, but with a far more tragic kind of revolution, resolution associated with it. I thought it was successful. I thought it was well done. I thought it was well acted. I think it's a great adaptation of the DLC. In terms of where it falls within the context of this show, I think they could have benefited by not making it as a direct adaptation of the DLC and maybe do a couple more scenes of when they cut back into the episode or show how the events from that are informing what's going on in this episode. Or maybe just even find a bit of a bitter, better moment to have this episode occur. Maybe even as like an, a, a, a mid-season break between season one and season two, but they release this as like, you know, keeping people engaged, whatever else. Because this is a show that has had an arc. This isn't a show that's been built itself on being purely episodic before. And so as much as I did like this episode, I do feel like it did break some of the flow for me that they've been building up so well in the last couple by doing something just completely different for this hour of television. That's what I like about it. That's what I like. I, I, I If it was just running fucking through the zombie gauntlet, I'm not interested. Mm-hmm. That the, I love I'm, – I'm – in you this show, as the viewer, the as if as a viewer, I like when they do this. When they give me Bill and Frank, when they give me Ellie's backstory, I hope we get a whole thing about Joel's backstory at some point. Like that would be awesome. Make it more episodic. Tell stories about real people and real situations that are relatable. And now you've got something where it's not just we're just shooting zombies and running through a gauntlet. Where would this one fall then? I mean, you you made this in comparison to episode three, which I think for both of us, we said that was our favorite episode of the season. Is this rivaling that? Is it your second favorite episode of the season? Probably my second favorite, second or third nice. favorite. Yeah, yeah, it's it's really high up there because you, we you, we you learn... have the exact mirror inverse to IMDb opinions. I'm proud of you, sir. Well, <laughs> it doesn't it doesn't say, but it just says I'm not a fucking idiot. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that I I I really like. The backstory for Ellie, because mm-hmm. I think that well, she's Ellie, your girl. well, your girl. a she's my favorite, yeah, my favorite character, the one I would protect, safe who you can save, but also she is an extremely guarded character when we meet her. Sure. She's not telling you a lot about she's she it's drips and drabs to Joel about her backstory and why she's the way she why is she so angry all the time why is she so fascinated with guns who is she hurt before in that weird conversation she had with Joel that she didn't want to talk about why is she so scared to lose Joel why is her number one motivating fear ending up alone there's a lot of things that we have learned about her that i think establish some questions about her character and her past and her history that we're starting to answer by this sort of episodic way of storytelling and i think it's what the show needs. Otherwise, otherwise you just have this character where you ask a million questions about their back. You, you know, like, cause that's what they've been doing with Ellie's backstory. Mm-hmm. They've been asking questions. Whenever Ellie says, yeah, I had to hurt someone, but I don't want to talk about it. You've asked a question. Yes. What has happened in her background? Mm-hmm. Whenever Ellie is fascinated with guns and you don't get a reason why, whenever Ellie is saying, I, I can't, I can't lose you. I don't want to end up alone. You're asking a bunch of questions this is allowing answers to it. And if you just ask questions about these fucking characters and you never answer them in any sort of meaningful way, then what, what the fuck do you have? What kind of show do you have? So I think it's integral. I think it's super important. And it, to me, it doesn't feel like a diversion at all. One thing I will say, I very much agree on whatever concerns I have with respect to pacing and, you know, timing or for whatever else, I will say that the fact that they do episodes like this and the fact that, you know, the video game had moments like this, whatever else makes it unique. It makes it a more complete world rather than just purely a action-driven zombie story in a way that makes it more memorable. If it was 
if we were missing these moments, it wouldn't all be the same universe and probably not the same creators making it. And they are very much appreciated for what they add to our overall experience. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, that ends our recap for episode seven. I think it's time we get the best line of the episode. Spencer, do you have any nominees for best line of the episode? Uh, what may be the best summary and maxim of Ellie ever? You're smart, Ellie. You're so smart. You're stupid. You already said it, but thank you, guidance counselor, military dude. You summarized the character perfectly right there. Uh, also from said that conversation between the two, why do you even care? I care because no matter what anyone out there says or thinks, we're the only thing holding us all together. If we go down, the people in the zone will starve or murder, murder each other. That much I know. There's a leader in you. And one day, it could be your turn. Or not. So which way? It's a good exchange. I like we have someone actually offering the federal perspective because we've previously seen them in a pretty shit light. Well earned. They're bastards at the, in their best in the Boston QZ and something far worse over in Kansas City. But it is nice to have somebody speak from their perspective because it is still the dominant force in the world. It'd be nice to have un- be nice to see the the inner thought process of people working in them. Uh, let's see here, back and forth between Riley and Ellie. Yeah, they wired up a block a couple weeks back. You know, more people in the QZ, some more apartments. Ah, Savedra's not entirely bad. <laughs> Fascist dickbags starving their own population. Uh, fireflies blowing up the storage depot didn't help. Ah, propaganda bullshit. Yeah, so you don't bomb stuff anymore? Well, not when there's civilians about. That's propaganda bullshit. As you said, it's a wonderful back and forth between two different perspectives, but it also just highlights that Riley don't know shit about what the process of this is. No. Look, as somebody who very often gets in arguments and doesn't know what the fuck I'm talking about, I can recognize... (laughs) I can recognize. I can recognize somebody grasping at an argument, like changing the goalpost as it goes. Like that's what she's yeah. doing. It's like, well, we wouldn't, that didn't I wouldn't, work. Let's try we this. wouldn't do that to you. Well, hold on. I wouldn't let them do that. I, well, they don't do that. Like it's just constantly moving. Yeah. Uh, Ellie. So this is the first wonder, right? Riley. Uh, yeah, sure. There can be five wonders in this mall. That, that was really cute. Just like, ah, uh, did not know that the lady would like this so much. Going to remember that one for later. Uh, repeated line just because we get it eight times, so I think like we should at least make out of it. Do you trust me? Man, that line's repeated a lot. It's one of the main things that we hear back and forth between Riley and Ellie, and you kind of unpacked whether she should have here in the end. Uh, line from Riley, and I ran, and the longer I was away, the harder it was for me to come back. Again, I thought that was a good expression of what that emotion is. Uh, our four, uh, puns from the book. We already recited them all, so I won't hear it. I do have to ask, because you didn't say, which was your favorite? I can reread them if you need me to do so. The last one, the alligator. The alligator, the investigator. That, that, that's a favorite. Investigator. God, that's good. And it, it's it's all the more, it's all the better, because... They don't say it. They don't say it, exactly. Uh, line from Ellie and Riley back and forth. So you leave me. I think you're dead. And then all of a sudden you're alive and you give me this night, this amazing fucking night. And now you're leaving again forever to join some cause. I don't even think you understand. Tell me I'm wrong. Riley, I think that you don't know everything. You don't know what it was like to have a family, to belong. I mean, didn't have them for long, but I had them. I belong to them. I want that again. Maybe the fireflies aren't what I think they are, but they chose me. I mattered to them. And then the haymaker from Ellie, you mattered to me first. It's a great exchange. So much to unpack. 
so much flawed logic but honest emotion going into what decisions the characters are making or expressing to each other. It feels very authentic to have this line laid out like that. Uh, closing line from the uh, episode, or close to it, whether it's two minutes or two days, we don't give up. I don't want to give that up. We can just be all poetic and shit and lose our minds together. It's tragic, it's sob-worthy, but man, is it a hell of a line and a hell of a certain, not even just stubbornness, but just determination here at the here in the bitter hours, that, that if this is truly all the time we have left, we're going to make it ours. Well done. Oh, man. What do we pick, I wonder? You, you got options. I mean, I all right. One of many some episodes, but still a few. Best line of the episode, episode seven of Last of Us is, you mattered to me first. God damn it, I don't want to punch you so bad. Yeah, that's a great line. Yeah, and it's, I think that you have to think about the point of the episode. The point mm-hmm. of the episode is to answer some of these questions that we've been asking about Ellie's past, why she, is? she is, what motivates her, etc. Et and this relationship with Riley, the first, seemingly the first person that she loved where it was reciprocal where she felt like she had something special Th- that is all contextualized here right it, it's all dr- it's all dropped with one charged line which is you mattered to me first mm-hmm. which was an appeal an appeal to stay and an explanation of how she felt now but then also how she has always felt about riley and kind of re- that that reveal that she's cared about her this entire time in a way that's romantic, you know, or at least you know, more than just a standard friendship. So the you matter to me first is really important. I also think it is important because it will inform Ellie and her decision making going forward, which we immediately saw in the episode. We very oh, yeah. immediately saw that, which was I'm not leaving Joel. I'm going to do everything I can to save him. And I... I think I was wrong. I think I was wrong. I don't think Joel's going to die. I think that she's going to, I think I'm not super crazy about this because I think she's just going to stitch him up with some thread or whatever. And like, you know, I don't know, stabbed kidney, stabbed liver, stabbed intestines, be damned. He'll just be fine here in a couple episodes. I'm sure that's what they're going to do with this. But I do like that. She's refusing to leave him and she's been tested multiple times here. I think it's, it's hopefully it's sunk into Joel here. She loves you, dude. She's not going anywhere. Uh, sir, I don't know about you, but I contain all kinds of broad-spectrum antibiotics and IV just kept in my house at all times. Clearly, Ellie just needs to go up to the third storage closet on the left, and they will be all there for the purpose of saving Joel's life. She doesn't even wash the wound. Like It's just like, whatever. Uh, it, it, you're just going to have to suspend a little disbelief with Joel here. Because I don't, I don't think Joel's going to die of an infection in the next episode, which is and, what probably and, what would have happened. If cave people are documented to be able to survive brain surgery, some people just get lucky. That's how it goes sometimes. Absolutely. Yeah, they they did surgery in the medieval times. It's just the vast majority of people ended up with an infection and died later. Uh, but whatever. I was reading about that at one point. Did you know that honey is a really powerful antibiotic? So I didn't know that, but I did know that in medieval times when people got really sick, they would give them honey mm-hmm. in part because you don't have to swallow honey. Honey will absorb in your mouth and you will get cat. You actually get the caloric intake from it. It's one of the few things that you don't have to swallow in order to get calories from it. It's almost like a bag, like an IV bag when you put honey in somebody's mouth. And and it apparently it also had some antibacterial and yeah, benefits to, as well. To the point they're exploring it more now in a age of increasingly drug resistant uh, 
bacterium out there. Honey, it's a surprisingly magical product. But so if you're you're with your partner or something, your partner gets a terrible, terrible stomach ache, and they're not able to keep anything down or swallow anything. Tablespoon of honey in the mouth. That's that's the thing to do. Or, so or, there you go, Uncle Lee to the kids. Or or, or hospital. But hospital is also a viable option to explore too. Yeah, we probably are talking to some uninsured who aren't going to do that. But, <laughs> yeah. uh, all right, let's go to familial moment of the episode. I mean, I got one. I, I, please, I want to hear it. It's. I feel like such a con artist for this because <laughs> I'm, I'm not picking Ellie and Riley. No. And I feel like that's almost like – It's low-hanging fruit. That's almost offensive to not pick them. It's too easy. Too easy. But it's Ellie refusing to leave Joel even after he tosses her into the corner and coming back and and him actually reciprocating the handhold. That's mm-hmm. the moment where, for me, my heart melted. Like, I mean, the, the Riley – Ellie stuff was powerful. I was rooting for them in the way that you root for kids romance, which is just like, I hope they're, I hope, I hope nobody gets hurt enough that it's a real problem. And I hope they have fun. That's basically what you do. You root for with kid romance. Mm-hmm. It's like, I hope you two it's like, puppy love. I hope you don't, I hope you don't hurt each other mm-hmm. seriously in this. And I hope that you have a good time. But that to me was more about Ellie's life before she met Joel and her motivations. Very much agreed. But the emotional punch in the stomach of the episode was when her and her and Joel held hands at the end of the episode. Hundred uh, percent agree. And if, if we were to assign a broader philosophical category, this episode seems to be built around the concept of the importance of family and the importance of choosing family and what effect that has on a person. We get it from Riley. We get it from Ellie. We get it from Joel. Here, it is what is each of them is emphasizing. It is what is now necessary to keep them going. It's a necessary importance. It's a necessary construct in their lives to make it all worthwhile. We see it play out in many ways, but like you, Ellie and Joel is what's making the world run for me. Okay. I think we both agree on that familiar moment of the episode. I think we move forward into episode eight with probably a Joel on the mend. Mm -hmm. Thanks, Ellie, for saving my life yet again. And we, I guess they'll continue their journey. And before we get there, shall I offer you some ethical questions for for us to ponder? Whew. Yeah. Let me sit back. Ethical questions of the week with Professor Spencer. Spencer, take the floor. Uh, I, we've got a few here. I'll keep things simple because we've you know, we got a shorter episode to go through. But uh, question number one, do we believe that even in the context of this show, that recruiting child soldiers like, Lyle, like Riley, and specifically the context and the means by which we saw the recruitment of child soldiers like Riley, can it be justifiable? Can it be ethical? Can it be something upon which a just world runs? I hate this fucking question. Go on. It's all I can do not to stop the podcast. Look, here's the, look. No, Mm -hmm. no, Mm -hmm. but you can always, here's the problem with a question (laughs) like this, is that no, having child soldiers is not ethically acceptable. However, you can cook up some fucking situation where it's like, I don't know. The Nazis have taken over America and you like you need every soldier you can to fight like the the Hitler squared or something. Yep. Uh, yeah, the you co- can the Covenant or glassing planets. There's any, you can yeah. you can figure out some sort of situation where yeah. getting every person with a trigger finger possible to be on your side is understandable to the max. 
But no, the, the core, core answer here is what? no, children should never be inscripted for violence in any sort of situation. I think they do a great job in this episode in terms of unpacking parts of it, because you just see how profoundly manipulative it is when it comes to Riley. She's a girl that's desperate looking for purpose. She's desperate looking for family. Marlene saw that in a heartbeat and made yes. immediate use of it for the purpose of her cause. See, I think Marlene is really capable. She, she might be the most capable person we've met in the entire series, except for Bill. Mm. But she's also maybe a little evil. Like this was really manipulative of her to prey on the fact that this girl was like a lost, you know, duck, you know, looking for a flock kind of deal after her parents left. And she picked right up on that and said, Hey, you're, you belong with us basically. And, 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 and appealing to her ego with complete horseshit, which is, Oh, we liked how you sneak around, which is, just, I, don't, I don't think that Riley made that up. And I think it's complete think bullshit it's that Marlene gave her. I think, I think, I think Marlene literally just kind of struggled in the moment to think of some compliment to offer. And that's the one she ran with. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a good question you've asked. I wasn't trying to, to punch back at I you. I was you, just, <laughs> I wanted to piss you off with that open ended. I'm question. just frustrated because I can, I can tell I have friends. I have a lot of lawyer friends. I have way more friends who are lawyers than it is healthy. Shows this industry, sir. Way, way too many friends that are healthy, uh, that are lawyers. No, that, not, that no, are, they're, that, they're that, lawyers. That they're healthy. not healthy, but yes, go on. It's not a healthy thing. How many lawyer friends I have, but. I have enough friends who would pick at that and go, well, okay, well, uh, you know, like, let's game out some fucking scenario where, you know, like the only way you could possibly kill baby Hitler is with a child soldier. Would you do it? And you're like, well, I mean, shut up, basically. It's one of those things that when you get to scenarios like that, the moment you've painted that scenario to try to find a viable answer to that question You've answered the question in the opposite way that you yes. intended. <laughs> That's a great point. It's like if you had to get all the way there, then no. No, yeah. of course of course not. No. I know we're going out on a limb here, but we're going to stamp it. This is official stamped from the desk of Mangum Talks. No, we do, child we do not endorse child soldiers. <laughs> we had such a base of support in terms of the Lord's, Lord's Resistance Army. I'm sorry to lose them. Officially stamped from the desk of Mangum Talks. Not authorized. I'm going to leave. You brought this. <laughs> you brought this up. We've seen it so much. I want to discuss Fedra versus the Fireflies with you at the end of the last episode. Just mm. once we get there, let's let's unpack. We've seen them in ten episodes. What we think about their respective organizations, that context. But let's save that one a bit longer. Uh, one I want to hit though, because you referenced it a little bit earlier. What do you feel about the ethics of purposefully joining a corrupt or despotic system, which is actively abusing people in the present? with the hopes of improving it in the future. Because you said that would, that would be what you would suspect would be your go-to when it came to an organization like FEDRA. You'd join them with the hopefully not just optimistic purpose of putting them on a better path once you get into a position of power to do so. Is there an ethical problem with doing that when, at least in the present, they are doing things that are at best morally questionable? So, yeah. I think it obviously depends on the level of unacceptable behavior the, the ruling the, organization the SS is doing. Over here, yeah, I mean, it, it, right? Because like there is a there is a level of authoritarianism and like evil that you the the concept of working within it to try to affect change becomes untenable, it's and blind. you just have to you you simply just have to fight it. I have not like I know fire the fireflies sure talk a big game about how evil Fedra is, mm-hmm. and so did the absolutely uh, 
nuttiest volleyball player ever from central Indiana who ended up on lost Island Lord of the flies, very compelling season one. She talked a big game about how bad Fedra was. I haven't as a viewer personally seen, I've seen Fedra be like sort of dicks, but I've not seen him like do outright evil things. I've not, I've not seen Fedra gas chambers here. What I've seen is that they have curfews. They hang they, people. They they do hang people when there's some suspected crime or something. All of this is be- all of this is not good, but it's we haven't reached a level where I feel like operating out that outside that system to affect positive change is the only possible option. But we're also hearing that there are differences between federal organizations too, because when Joel when Joel of all people said that the KC Fedra were pretty messed up, I'm willing to believe him that KC Fedra was probably even an outlier in terms of just horrible among federal organizations. Right. That's the type that that's another thing, right? Like and we actually get that a great parallel we can draw is with modern day in America police departments, right? Mm-hmm. Because it's very common for people who are, let's say skeptical of police authority to paint police in broad strokes and say, well, they killed so-and-so when X did this and they did. And it's like, wait a second. Those are all separate police departments with separate municipal codes, with separate state laws. Like these are all, these are all so separated that trying to say the police in America do X while your heart might be in the right place that you're frustrated with certain behaviors that certain police departments are doing, Some you really can't, you, you really can't paint all police in a brush like this because it's such a de- the policing is so decentralized in America and Fedra is so decentralized in this scale that Same you really can't, you can't say Fedra equals blah because okay. it, there's just a bunch of them. Let's narrow it then. Specifically from what you have seen and heard in the Boston QZ, hanging people for leaving the QZ is apparently a justifiable punishment on their standards, keeping people at a very low level of income, not even fixing the plumbing. We've seen signs that this is at least a despotic, controlling, at times somewhat murderous organization. Would you have ethical qualms on terms of joining them, contributing to them in the present, in terms of hoping you could make them better later? So from what I have seen so far from Fedra and what I know of the external threats to the world that are, that they're very, very real, which is the infected and the disease, right? Yes. I would think it would warrant working within that system. Now, if Fedra, if, if the, if the infected did, if the whole infected didn't exist, if that, that, well, that's it's fake like, news. It's conspiracy if, theory. If have all you that, seen an infected? Remove that threat completely. Then I would probably think operating outside of Fedra, pushing back and trying to reestablish some sort of different government would be the move immediately. But Fedra does have a point that humanity is ending. So, and, and they're being, they're, they're certainly being questionable, but I, I don't, I can't see a situation from what I've seen so far where I would think the best, the, the best way that I can help humanity is to throw Molotov cocktails at Fedra. I, I don't think I've gotten to that point yet. Yeah, I'm with you, particularly in the context of the show. The show is actually more pro-Fedra, I think, than the video game was. It just gives more context and time and hope about Fedra than the video game certainly does. So, yeah, pretty much in the context of the show, I'm kind of with you. It's just like, we've been given a lot of a lot of evidence that there's, this, there's a, a lot of active threats in the world, and if there's not an organization there to at least hold them at bay... 
things can collapse really damn quick. Yeah. So it's a, it's a hard line, right? Because I think that there are a lot of people out there who are going to say, oh, you, you would be working for an organization that's doing evil. That is true. But humanity, the, the world is also winding. And there's not a real viable other option. What? And FEDRA, like any other governmental apparatus, is only doing what the people who are in charge of it want to do. So if you get in charge of it, you can theoretically affect massive change in what they're perpetrating on society. It's also, let's also address this argument. What would you say then if somebody says, well, we saw that little Wyoming town work. Why, why can't people go live like that? Why can't Fedra run things like that? That seems to be working okay. What, how would you respond to that argument? There seems to be significantly less effect, uh, infected in that part of Colorado, the Wyoming, of whatever, Wyoming, than in these major metropolitan areas where they're trying to save people's lives. Like It seems to be a completely different dynamic they're fighting with the infected. That's not to say what they're doing in the Boston QZ is right. It's not. But it is a different dynamic, and so you, it's not a one-to-one in how they would necessarily govern. And I also would, would question if that little commune, communist commune, mm-hmm had, let's say, 10,000 infected uh, attack it tomorrow. I would think the laissez-faire, well, first off, they might die. But but if they don't, the laissez-faire sort of governance structure of, well, it's a democratically elected council and everybody can pay in-kind taxes to do that, that all might fucking change overnight if if there was like thousands of infected coming at them. Yeah, they're not picking two consuls anymore. A dictator is getting appointed for the next six-month duration for the sake of calming the situation. I don't, I don't also, when you said 10,000, I was also thinking too, if that town had to manage 10,000 people, I think things would be a little bit different too. It seems like the QZs are maintaining like the vast bulk of the human population still. So yeah. they have like hundreds of thousands or even between them millions of people. Harder to say that the, the, the structure of that 300-person town would apply as well. Because I'm sure every like so first off, Ephedra needs to change massively. God yes. But everything that they're doing, I'm sure that there is some sort of resource based argument around why they're doing it. Why are we hanging people suspected of stealing shit or leaving the QZ? Well, because we don't have the resources to run a judicial system. Why? Because we're fighting thousands and thousands of infected every day. Like you know, so there's always some argument back to the imminent threat of ending humanity, which. You know, would be would be a sort of hard thing to argue at the uh, in, in total, right? You'd have to argue it at the margins because they are right that they don't they probably don't have the, the capability to run a complete judicial system. However, on the margins, I'd argue you probably could do a little bit better than just hanging people. And also, in fairness to the Fireflies, we get to see at the start of this episode that Fedra is perfectly willing to employ their own child soldiers too, given that Ellie is in a military school for the purpose of growing up to be a soldier in Fedra. They just don't give you a gun as quick. Yeah. And as established, Bethany sucks and child soldiers not acceptable. We have established those two universal laws here on this podcast. Never need to be said again. We have, they, they are written now. Anything else you'd like to cover on this episode, episode seven, Last of Us? Well, I think we've hit well. Do we know what the name of the next episode is? I don't, but we get two more, right? We get we, two more episodes. Two, two more episodes before the season's done. Okay. Now, what you know, I do, I do want to ask you a, a tangentially spoilery question what you know of the video game do you think they're going to get through all of the first video game in this season this may be informing a little bit of why this episode worried me just a bit because 
I don't think they have time. I don't know. Okay. It's two episodes, unless each of these episodes is like an hour and a half long. They've got a bit of ground to cover before this thing is uh, is done if they want to finish the video game in this season. So maybe they're I not really tracking. Don't know anymore. They might not be tracking to that, right? They might they might cut it off midway through the first video game. I don't know. It, perfectly possible. And I, I think I'm getting increasingly thinking it will be. Uh, next episode is entitled "When We Are in Need." When we are in need. Okay, we're going to cover that next week here on Mangum Talks. The last of us. In the meantime, you can go on over to Mangum Talk Star Wars. This weekend, we will be reviewing episode one of Mandalorian. Mandalorian coming back for season three. Super excited about that. We're going to be reviewing that over on Mangum Talk Star Wars. So you can listen to us talk Star Wars and all things Mandalorian and Grogu and Din Djarin and Mando and all of our favorite characters over Pe- on that podcast feed. We just love Pedro Pascal. We follow him where he goes. Uh, yeah, pretty much. We're pretty much doing basically everything he does. We will be back with you next week. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Hope you all have a great week. Bye.